Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 306. Hopefully you guys have had an amazing Saturday. I have an amazing guest for you tonight. Some have called him, a lot of people have called him, King of Kush. Brett Bogg, how are you doing tonight? Uh, Tell us how you're doing and where we can find you tonight. Please. So I'm doing good, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to uh, speak with your audience and speak with you first time. We haven't had the chance uh, to do this live, so thank you again for the opportunity to uh, let me uh, shout up my story uh, to a bunch of people. And uh, you tonight you got me live from New Orleans. I've been out... Uh, with some friends just uh, doing business and looking at some opportunities. Um, And um, really, sorry about that. Cass was trying to call in there. Hopefully she'll (laughs) come into the view there here. But um, been really just trying to look at the uh, emerging cannabis business in the United States. It's something that has in the last five years, obviously exploded with all of the legalizations in all the different states, but as well, not only this here in America, um, the world is like, an, it's an explosion, you know, at, at, when it comes to uh, the cannabis industry. So I have been traveling for the past almost nine months, as I was telling you offline here a little bit earlier, uh, about in Mexico. And Mexico is just Boy, is it just an untapped, massive, massive uh, territory, Uh, many different states in Mexico. I think there's upwards of almost 30 different states in Mexico. Uh, And I didn't really know that before. So traveling around Mexico for nine months really gave me um, kind of um, an opportunity to look at uh, the emerging business. But leading now back here into... um, New Orleans, I um, see a lot of a lot of potential, really from Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, um, Na- um, and uh, a few other states. So I'm I'm really and I need to really like understand because it's a different beast here versus the West versus the South versus the East, if you will. Our country is in such disarray with not only, you know, the elections and everything else, and now, you know, coming with the coronavirus that it's amazing how we've been able to kind of stay together and really trying to put a a feel here up for this emerging business. So, I guess for me, you know, the big thing, you know, that I would say to a lot of your viewers, especially if they're looking to get into the industry, depending on if it's in the West Coast or uh, the Central United States or the East Coast, pick a place that you um, feel comfortable, that you have roots, and more so if you're going to be taking the leap find a state, you know, that's, um, has a 
I don't want to say easier, but a more affordable for the average person, a more affordable a business model. And so I might suggest to some of your viewers that like a state like Oklahoma, if you're a resident, um, maybe a state like uh, Texas, when they do eventually open up, the laws are really, uh, um, they're, they're very advantageous to the average person, more so uh, than just uh, the law itself, the, the cost of setup is really, really, um, it's pretty attractive to be honest to you. Um, like for an example, you could, to give you the example of California, California, um, you know, has, has two, three, three different licenses from a cottage grow to a medium sized grow, which is about a 10,000 or so square foot upwards of an acre uh, grow licenses that they offer. But those licenses come at a cost. Not only do they have to come with rules and regulations and your property has to comply to a very specific standard of operations, but also even be before you even have a crop, you pay in certain counties $2 uh, a square foot. So for an example, uh, you know, an acre is 45,000 square foot. So you just sent them a check for $95,000 before you even cropped one plant. Yeah. Yeah. That's why people in California lost their shorts. That's why the biggest market in California is the black market. It's 4 billion to 1 billion. Welcome to legalization black market cannabis in California. Because that's what it is. I mean, they can talk all the shit they want. They can say whatever they want. The government can talk whatever they want. They, and just like the old Tea Party when we had in the, when we had the British Tea Party. And why did they have the Tea Party? Over taxation. So we're not going to have a Tea Party. We're going to have a weed party. And we're going to have a weed party that makes us money. Because you can't, you can't take what we've had. It's, I've told so many people, I remember in 2009, when California wanted to go legal, I told the whole, I told everyone that, that San Francisco, Luna, hell no, I don't go legal. This is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I still think it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why? And you say, well, Brett, that doesn't make sense. Why? Because beforehand, we had a perfect model, which was 215. And 215 allowed you as an individual to collectively come together as groups and perform and grow collective gardens. Those gardens then allowed us to be able to then collectively through our groups to be able to retain and recoup investments that one would as far as the groups. Also then it could uh, be helped within the group Well, one could donate labor, one could donate food, but the, the, the total process allowed it that the farms could function uh, together as groups and maintain themselves and still pay taxes and still go out and work without this huge oversight, this, these rules and, and these um, boundaries that tied, literally hand-locked, tied these guys into 
uh, a position where really 90% of these guys, women, growers, are, are, um, are simply that. They're not, they're not schooled uh, paperwork business people. And there became the biggest problem. And to have all that cash up front. And when we first started in California, when they first started the law, cannabis went, it went as, you know, man, I remember when outdoor cannabis was selling for $35,000, $4,000 a pound when I first started, when I first got in the industry in California and watched it go down, watched it go down to um, the past two or three years, um, cannabis was being sold for $500 a pound. $300 a pound outdoor. And, and then all of a sudden you put that into rules, regulations, and then taxes and the money that I told you, you can't, you're, you're not going to be in business. And that's what happened to California. Um, and it will continue to do that until they realize you can't overtax the product. Um, the average price now for an eighth is close to $60. So if you think of a person that's going to go out and have a like to puff and go out and smoke and they just said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go have a smoke. OK, great. No, no problem. But all of a sudden, you have an average person today's times and the economy, the way that it is. And the average guy to go out and have to drop 60 bucks and then probably smoke that in four or five days and then another. And by the time you're done, you've you've spent, you know, three, four hundred dollars when really maybe it probably would have been better for you just to buy a whole ounce at one time, but you don't have that much money, which, cause that's a lot of money for most people to just, just drop like that. And the industry has kind of taken advantage of uh, us, the, the medical patients. It's uh, like I see behind you in the back there and your backdrop, it looks like you're still able to produce your medical medicine without uh, uh, having a, a, a hindrance, uh, the law coming to you to say, hey, you're doing something illegal, uh, when in fact, all what you're doing is, is following the guidelines under the rules of the allotted amount of plants that you can, and to now be able to actually have top grade medicine, learn how to grow, and not have to have this huge expense uh, monthly that you can't afford. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I think really that needs to, we need to really as a community, and that's the United States, I take that as a, the United States community, we have to be very careful where we're going with this legalization. And maybe I might kind of end this part of that, what I'm talking about here on the legalization everything is that it's been my thought, it's been my thought since early 2009, 2010, that we would eventually go federally legalized. And when we go federally legalized, now we have to take that word and that business model in, in contrast to what we have as a state level, meaning we have more oversight, <laughs> more bills, more taxes, and a higher threshold to get into the business. So for an example, if I'm in the current model that exists right now within the United States. State law in most states, I think almost every state, mandates that you have to have a minimum of uh, 80% PPM in, in your oils. 
So that's the residuals, the solvents that are, are in there. You're going to have to 80 parts per million. Now that's state law. But now when we get into federal, i.e. what would now meet a pharmaceutical standard, we go to 10 ppm, which creates a whole nother standard, which creates a whole nother practice of extractions, which creates a whole nother expense within the products and the materials that you have to buy. Thus, I would, and I'd venture to say, 95, maybe even higher, maybe 98% of the cannabis industry um, nationwide, 98% only are built out to state. So meaning everything, when they switch the law, your build out, your money, and everything you did is not good enough. So you better hope that you have enough money that's going to cost multi, multi, multi millions of dollars, probably more than you already spent to build your outfit out. And now they're going to come at you and go, okay, you, you voted for it. That's what you wanted. So here you go. Here's your Fetty. Uh, break out your Chetty. Oh, you don't got the Chetty? Oh, now have a nice day. You're, you're done. You bought yourself out of the business because you thought you were going to win the Willy Wonka ticket. Because you're not fully understanding the rules. You were only being caught up in the moment of the new state laws. And that understanding that the feds were the ones that put the laws in. So it was only a matter of time that they're going to come and go, hey, we can't figure out our system because we pretty much rob you guys daily on telling you it cost you uh, $500 for one bolt when it costs less than two cents. But yet we'll just continue to overcharge you for everything that you have as a citizen. We'll bill you tax-wise, and now at the end of the day, what's the problem? You have to you have to pay pay the money, and we the people, um, I think, are somewhat sheeple, uh, and we don't probably because our own lives, our own problems, our own issues, we don't take the time, or we don't have the time, frankly, to even concentrate or look at larger issues. Um, that are out in front of us. And I think they, they, the governments, I think that they rely on that. I think they thrive on that. On like this whole thing with, uh, you know, on a little sidebar, but the whole thing that happened at the, um, the, 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 not the White House, but the, the Senate and, and uh, the Congress. What it, it's, again, it's just a perfect, a perfect storm if to me, not that they had anything to do with it, but it's a beautiful, perfect storm. So now all of a sudden, what? Well, we're kind of not talking about as much about the coronavirus now. And we're not talking about the new president so much and what they're going to do and the problems that they're going to have. But let's concentrate on now putting this other guy out. So if we do that, shit, that's, that's got to be priority. Priority number one. Got it. And I'm thinking to myself, no, we actually have a whole country that's suffering and all we've ever really asked for as the u.s citizens is is where are the leaders and can you get rid of the cheaters because that's all i see 
And it's kind of sad to think when we're taught as young people and we're raised by good human beings that teach you the right from wrong and to be honest and to tell the truth and to have faith and uh, uh, practice what you preach. And the leaders that we have are practice what you lie and cheat. Every single one of them. There's not, I don't think there's one politician that I, uh, honestly, that I could reach out and go, that guy's honest or that lady's honest. When the reality of it is, is think about it. If they were so honest, then why would they want to take and wrong the United States people? What do I mean? Well, you get a bill 80 to 250, depending on Senate or Congress. You only serve a minimum between two and four years. After that, you get paid that salary for the rest of your life. And you get free medical as well. So does your kids. Can you tell me how that benefits my country? You can't, and I can't either. We're getting ripped off. And maybe that's why those people stormed the fucking Capitol. Maybe that's why they did it. Like, fuck you. We're tired of you fuckers out here bullshitting and lying to us. Because that's all they fucking do every day. They overtax you. They overcharge you. The banking system's totally corrupt. There's no way it, it could be fair for anyone in the world to think that me and you as a regular citizen walk into the bank. You put $10 into the bank. The bank then goes back over to the Federal Reserve and borrows $1,000 off your $10. Pays less than a half percent on the $1,000. That's not even real. Goes back out down to your friend, my friend, and every other friend and loans them the $990 at 6% interest, which doesn't exist. It's not even real. But our system's real, right? See, that's what I'm saying to you and your listeners. There's so much going on behind the scenes. There's so much happening that the average cat don't even know that the shit that we're doing while we're standing here today, standing on this, the shit ain't even real. But it's real. And it's live. And it's what it is. But people need to start getting engaged. And that's why we have... You know, people, oh, well, we want to be conspiracy theorists or whatever. I didn't didn't give you a conspiracy. I gave you a fact. We just have to understand that that's how we've been put in this financial mess. And we, the people of the United States, maybe the world, we we might be the biggest culprit of this problem. Because we decide for some reason that we deserve a a brand new BMW, a brand new Ferrari, a brand new house, a brand new pipe. And those are all wants. Those aren't needs. And most of them, 80, 90% of us couldn't afford that anyways. But we decide that we got a decent job and somehow the world has told us that, hey, if you've got credit, you could go buy that. But why would you go buy that? Because you don't own that. (laughs) You don't own that. So you're going to go out, stretch yourself out so you can look like you're super flossing. You could look like you got something. And really, you're like a welfare chump. And it's like, it's only then that we, the people, have to start taking responsibility 
for our own actions. And we can't keep on blaming everyone else because we decided, well, I wanted to go by the, you can't. I was just telling one of my kids, love her to death. I was telling her, you know, she's got a nice 380, whatever, nice house or fucking four or $500 car. And she's always complaining about being broke. I'm like, well, really? Well, you, you live in a house that's probably too much for you. You drive a car that's too much for you. Why? Because you could, they said you could do that. So basically what they said you could do is you can get into debt to them for the next 60 years. See, when you buy a house, people think, oh, I bought a house. I did good. No, you didn't. It's not, you have a debt. It's not an asset. You have a debt. So how is that a good thing? But see, the mind thinks, well, hey, I'm going to buy that house and then I'm going to, I'm going to do good. But see, I could show you that. I could say, hey, if you have the average 20% down on that house, I'd say, don't buy a house. I'd say, come on over here. I'm going to show you how you make 10% on that money. Called compounded interest. At the same time, I'm going to show you how you don't pay taxes, you don't pay upkeep, and, and you don't pay insurance. Because now you're renting. Yes, you might pay a few hundred more dollars to rent. Okay. Take all that extra money, push your down payment, and in, tw- and in 20 years that you would have went in your 20-year note on your house, let's just say your house was $200,000. In 20 years, you didn't pay $200,000 for your house, by the way. You paid over a million dollars for your house. And by the time you're done after the 20 years, you might be lucky that your house is worth $400,000. So you spent a million for 400. That, by the way, you still have to pay taxes and insurance and upkeep almost every year. Now, you would have taken that same amount with the 20% down and put that and the upkeep and the money in an account for the next 20 years. Guess what you have? Over a million dollars cash. So it's only understanding that the system that's set up is a system to screw you. It's a system to put you into slavery. When people think slavery ended, no. Slavery never ended. Slavery now is for every color on earth. You pay the man every day. Hey, isn't it amazing when our mamas and daddies raised us? They paid, they paid to have us birth. And it is an amazing when we die, we pay to die. We're slaves. So a little off topic, but you know what? Still goes right in with the, to me, it goes right in with the vibe and the reason why I got into growing cannabis. And it has allowed me to be able to have, live out of that system that I just told you. Live completely free of that system. I don't, I don't fuck. I don't, I mean, I'll have to someday, but I haven't paid taxes and I don't know how long, 10 years, 15. I don't even know how long it's been. Who knows? Welcome. Eventually I'm going to have to. And eventually my, my passport will, it won't work. <laughs> so I got to pay the motherfucker. So it's going to have to be, but I'm going to try just as much as they rip me off every day. I'm going to try to rip them off. Because they steal from you every day. So 
I am a person that believes in, you know, the truth. Um, and the cannabis industry has allowed me over the years to really open the door. Started growing when I was about 15 years old in um, the Pacific Northwest in a little town called Gig Harbor, Washington. It's out in the peninsula, right on the water. My high school was right across from the ocean. You go water skiing or fishing every day. We had an open school, so you could leave at lunchtime, be water skiing at lunchtime, and come right back to school. It was uh, it was a cool, cool place to grow up in. I mean, a really cool place. Um, and um, and it was unique for the, the 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 movement. We were really isolated. It was a lot like in Michigan, out on the peninsula. Same thing. What we got there, we call it. You live out on the peninsula, and. Um, actually, my high school was called Peninsula High School, uh, uh, but um, we, it was so cool because it was such a melting pot of people and we were right on the water. So I think, if you will, we were the port for a lot of yummy, of a lots of yummy coming in of all different types from the heavy stuff to the small stuff, you name it. And we were like, I mean, I, in some ways, you know, we, it was, it was crazy. I'm going to go into some personal stuff. When, when I was in ninth grade, I got to the point where I was, uh, you know, I would drop eight balls of free base cocaine on my free base pipe in ninth grade and then go play football and basketball at the games. Lit up. Like lit up. Lit up. So, uh, uh, and I just, so where I grew up, we grew up like, like, you don't like, like gangsters of gangsters. Like we would just roam the streets, jump people, take their shit, fucking just, it, it was out of control, bro. And we were drug. I mean, we were just, we were fucking hoodlums. And, um, and we were really in a really crazy, cause it was a really like, like whitey, tidy fucking neighborhood like the most whitey, tidy neighborhood you'd ever, like too white, too white. Uh, uh, it was just, it was, it was crazy. And then literally you just zip right over the fucking bridge and, and, and over the bridge was this place called Hilltop. And Hilltop was predominantly black, almost, I'd say 90%, a lot like uh, eight mile in, in, in uh, uh, Michigan, right? This would be the exact same thing. In fact, I would consider this at one point to be one of the hardest, hardest neighborhoods in the world. And that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty ballsy statement right there. And I'm going to say this. You can pull it up and so can your viewers. In 1989, my whole hilltop, 24 blocks, got locked down by the National Guard and the fucking Tacoma Police Department. And the sheriff's department, there were over like 2000 officers there. What happened was, is that the Hilltop Crips, the 23rd Hilltop Crips, they were basically running the whole Hilltop area where we grew up. I mean, like running. And at nighttime, you would drive out at nighttime and it was like New Jack City. There'd be thousands of people lined up on the side of the street slinging rocks. Just slinging it like fucking Rick James slinging. And 
No, you couldn't. And the thing was the most craziest fucking thing because you couldn't see anyone. All you saw was your teeth. Like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? And you couldn't see nothing. Why? Because they shot all the fucking lights out. And, and they were black. So all you saw was the teeth. It was the most craziest fucking thing ever. And, and, and you would, and every time, you know, you'd have to roll down there. And I remember like rolling down there, scoring shit. Oh my God, bro. I'd go down with AK 47s just to get a 20 rock. It was like, it was crazy, dude. And that was high school for me. That was high school. So I really learned. And then as we got a little bit older, that was freshman in high school. And then as we got older, we learned how to make speed. We learned how to make acid. And then we started growing weed. And then we just started dominating. We said fucking passing shit, going left and right, going from the bands. All the fucking bands were taking shit. The fucking acid and speed was going fucking to L.A., I'm so glad that the fucking time lapse is over so I can just yap my mouth now because we're talking 30 years ago, class. But we just were killing it, bro. We, we knew, and it was the flavor where we grew up. We grew up with just heavy, heavy hitters that were constantly on us. Like my, my crew that I hung out with was at least like, you know, five, six years old. I'm, I'm, I'm like 15, 16, hanging out with like 25-year-old dudes. Like, you know, just like, just, just doing crazy stuff, bro. And, um, that's really, and after that, I kind of, I got, you know, obviously I, I, I cleaned up. Um, I got to about in my early twenties, I basically, I got sober, if you will. I, uh, you know, got off drugs. I quit drinking. Uh, I haven't drank in almost 27 years. Um, and I literally, it was weird. Because about six months after that, I'm not feeling, I wasn't feeling so good. And, but I was good in my body, strong in my mind, you know, from a long time of drug, almost nine years of drug and alcohol use that I just abused it. And um, I got clean and sober and I was just not, I wasn't feeling right. So I went in one day and I, I played football, baseball, basketball. I ran track. I, I, I played every, I mean, dude, I love sports. Like most you know, young kids do. I was just an, I was an athlete. I was a jock. And I, so I, on my hard hat or my baseball cap, um, it would uh, right up here on the top of my head. I have like a cyst and you know, it was kind of weird. It was a little bump. I got it removed when I was about, uh, um, one second here. I'm going to tell this person right here. Just give me one second here. I'll be right back here. How are you guys doing there in chat? Cass, thank you for checking out the interview, by the way. Yeah, 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 no, no, definitely. Um, So, uh, yeah, definitely. After that, I, I just, it was like, it was a time in my life that, you know, it was obviously changed. I was, I was getting sober. And by that time as well as I had two, I had two daughters. My first daughter was born when I was a freshman in high school. My second daughter was born when I was a senior in high school. So by the time I was 25, 26 years old, I had an eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. Um, didn't have much of a relationship with them. And so um, along a short, I had a long road 
to travel, if you know what I mean. I created a, I created a lot of stuff there and wasn't really being a person. And long and short, I went in with the cyst, as I was saying. And when I went in, no big de- deal. I, like I said, I had it removed when I was 13. And so no problem. You may get it. You may not. It may happen again. And um, so I went in told the doctor, hey, you know, I've had it removed before, you know, no big deal. He looked at it, he kind of moved, he's like, oh yeah, that's just one of those cysts, no big deal. So we're gonna go ahead and they, they do the surgery and <laughs> cool. <laughs> I go back to work and about two days later, the guy calls up the doctor and he's like, yo, you, uh, you, you have to come in immediately. You have, you have to come in immediately. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on? He goes, um, I'd rather you come into the office. This is pretty important. So I come to the office and then at that time, I'm a little scared. So I'm I'm like, yo, I better, I better bring some, you know, people I trust. So I bring, I bring my mom, right? I'm like, yo, because I don't understand. I don't, I don't fully understand what's going on. So we go in there and the guy's like, you know, I I hate to tell you this, but uh, you have a very rare form of melanoma skin cancer. In fact, you are the only one alive in the world. In fact, there are 32 known cases. This was at the time. The average age is 75 years old. You're only 25. And unfortunately, Brett, all those people are dead. So we believe we have some treatments for you. We're going to give you radiation and we're going to give you 33 treatments on the top of your head. I was like, what? What? what, what? They're like, yes, we're going to give you 33 treatments. Now, you see that beautiful hair you have there? You'll never have hair again. You'll never have hair again. And I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, Dude, I look like Dylan off 90210. What do you mean? I'm like pretty boy Floyd. Like these chicks jump on me like a dog. This is beautiful. Fucking. You're going to make me cut this off? And they're like, you, you will do more. It won't, you won't have it. It will melt off. And it will never come back. And boy, that was, you know, not expecting that. Not going through that. Not knowing that. Almost like a person that might have uh, apicia. I think that's how you say it, where they have the skin disease or the hair disease where they don't lose it and they don't have eyebrows. And it, um, it was a shocking. And um, uh, uh, what was it, almost a month and a half later, I, I was uh, bald. And right after that was when I really, and I think that's kind of where we're here tonight, what we're really talking about, um, is I really started doing research. I'd always smoke cannabis. As I said, I did a lot of different things, um, but I'd always smoke cannabis and I always thought it wasn't I never thought I had a problem with it I still don't think I have a problem with it but with that said I started doing research and I got turned turned on to a gentleman named Jack Hare or Herrera excuse me and um started reading the book and I started seeing that there was an alternative way to make uh, a topical like a salve and at the time, my skin was, I was getting gnarly, like a red rash. And I broke out really bad on the back of my neck. And just, it was, it was just gnarly, really, you know, conscientious. And 
I started working, making these salves, and I started using them. And today, I mean, it's amazing when I tell people that I've had, you know, I had 100 and almost 95 stitches here. I had 225 right here. You, you, you almost can't see it. Like people look at me and go, but what, dude, you almost had 500 stitches just in those two places. I've had another 100 here, another 20 here, and another 30 here. Um, so I've had like close to <laughs> 650 stitches on my face. <laughs> uh, uh, it's one it's to the chopper. It's one to the chopper. And I try to explain to people that and they look at me and they go, bro, you can't even tell really what you, I mean, it's amazing. You can kind of little see the stars. That's because I use cannabis topical uh, um, treatments and they work fabulous. And after that, that really, it kind of changed my, my mindset. It really changed how, what I thought of how, hey, I could, I could make this maybe into a business. I could do this. And of course, cannabis was, people were making money and things were happening. And so I turned my attention, my complete attention into growing. And I started, you know, my, I got my first house uh, when I was, I bought my first house when I was 25 years old. I put $5,000 down and that house made me about a million and a half dollars in a year and a half. Hmm. That's when you grow, baby, and you make that dollar, and you make them holla. <laughs> and those were the days, bro. That was like in the early 90s. I was like kicking ass, making millions, just fucking flipping bitch like a $2 hooker, like, yes! and I was just running game. I was running it. And I, I was just taking names and numbers. I was buying anything I wanted, you know, living that dream and not worrying about taxes, not worrying about anything. And living like a, what they would call like a the modern day pirate. And, but that's the American spirit. That's who we are. We're fucking pirates. And I don't care what anyone says. That's how this fucking thing got down. We had to get dirty. So I, from that, I really started seeing like the bigger picture, like, yo, where else in the world is this rocking? You know, how does this rock? And then the next thing you know, boom busted off to Amsterdam and I was there by 97, 98, by 99. I, I had four places growing and blowing up in Amsterdam and I was helping out companies like DNA genetics where they were having a really hard time. They were super poor, didn't have money. They had to run away a lot of times. They had some problems with the the motorcycle people, they had some bills they didn't pay right. They didn't get some things right. And always, always were having problems uh, back in the day. You know, and that's just what happened. They were young. They were, they were trying to grow. And they, they, didn't, they, weren't, they weren't as entrepreneuring as, as me, let's just say. They didn't quite understand the game. Not to the level that I did, that's for sure. And so what I had to do is I, I, we did a favor. And I think, uh, uh, you know, some of your listeners may know, some may not, but uh, there's a strain called the Chocolow. So that strain was given to me and my brother by uh, some people out of Amsterdam. And we really felt sorry for DNA genetics. Like they needed someone to come up. So we gave them that strain and said, here, you look like the welfare recipients. You might need something. 
because you're not doing too good over there. And you don't really know how to really, you're not really doing it the way it needs to be done. So let the real king help you out. And that's what we do. We build nations. We are the foundation of the modern day cannabis industry. And I don't have a problem saying that because who went to 15 countries and blew it up? Who went to 32 states and blew it up? I'm waiting for someone to stand next to me and say that because they're not. They don't got balls or enough fucking drive to do what I do. They say they do. They want to dream they do. But when I put you to a 50-hour work and don't even, you don't stop while you got blood coming out of your fingers and you're whining like a $2 bitch because you ain't man enough to step to the plate, get the fuck out of here. I'll work you to death. Because that's what I do. I die making money. It's a different. You might as well put me on a football field. You might as well put me on a basketball in a game. We won't leave until someone dies. That's a real game. Not your pansy-ass little queer-ass football games you got out there now. That's pansy-ass football. That's pansies. Once you try to come play in the 80s and 90s, we'll break your fucking neck and legs, you bitches. You don't play football. You play tag cunt ball. And that's a fact. Wake up, bitches. You play cunt ball. And that's why I don't even watch football anymore. A bunch of cunts. And I'm sorry. That's how I feel. Because they don't even fucking blast. Like, blast that bitch. Break his neck. Take him out of the fucking game. Break his will so he doesn't want to come back in. That's how we grow. And that's what we do. We take that mentality and we just run with it. And we don't stop until you can't go anymore. It's not uncommon for us to work 50, 75-hour shifts without a break. I challenge anyone in the cannabis industry to do that. Step up to the plate. I'll fucking eat you for a lunch and spit you the fuck out. <clears throat> and that's a fact. There's, you don't have the heart. You don't have the desire. It's too easy. And you can just go on the internet and go, whoop, 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 whoop. I'm the king. King of what? And it's, it's, it's really important. And that's where I take pride in that. I, I know that that's the difference between the success that we've had and, and the continuous success. Now, ego. Ego plays a big part in being too cocky, too arrogant, can lead into bad decisions. So in our older ages, as we get older, we realize it's not about us talking shit or being better or anything of that. What we would like to be is just to be consistent and be the best. And it's really important that we, no matter how I get pumped up, no matter how emotional I get, that I come back to what it needs to be. And it needs to be consistency quality at every level that we do. So during those times of us helping companies such as DNA, genetics, and other companies, 
we were developing strains out of the Pacific Northwest called the Pez, the Goo. The Goo was a strain by the University of Washington in 1974, one of the first medical cannabis growing programs in the United States of America. And out of that program, I had fortunate enough to have some friends that actually were much older than me and had some friends that were working at the university and I was able to get that strain. And that strain was, uh, wow, it was a fascinating strain. It was from uh, Vietnam and they call it bot, bot. And the strain was, I, I just, it, the reason, and, 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 the, and when we got it from our friend, they were much older back then. A lot of people really never put a name to cannabis, by the way. That is the, the stinky, the green, the fire, the wheat, you know, because of course, back then it was such hush hush. You don't want to really want a name on it because then everyone's looking for, Hey, where do I get that? Where do I get? And then you're going to get in trouble. So when we got it from them, we called it the goo and the goo was just an unbelievable strain. And then the other strain that we were really uh, kind of our basis of our company was the Alaskan Thunderfuck. And to this day, that strain, that strain, literally, it well, it, 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 we, we dominated the Netherlands. I mean, we, we, we dominated the Netherlands. We, we just took everyone out. As much as they were living on the hazes and uh, um, the super silver hazes and the northern lights, uh, the, uh, Cali, uh, the, the orange buds and those type of different uh, strains, when we brought the Alaskan Thunderfuck there, we, and then I say when we brought it, we took it to the Netherlands. And I remember one time in particular, it was probably the 2010 of the 2000 cannabis gun. Maybe even 12, I, I don't know, but someone there now. But, and the amnesia was just opening up. Sissy, she owns the amnesia in the, in the Netherlands. So she's just opened it up and she's looking for a, a company to team up with to grow for the shop and so we can enter into the uh, into the uh, cup right so we're like hey well we got introduced to her and we're like yeah hey we'll be your partner so we we started growing everything and i'll never forget this so we're, we're having this huge party we're at the we're at the bar at the amnesia it's really cool because it's right on the canal uh, right right there on the canal so we're all partying there's mass people in there everyone's killing and they're like hey Let's put up the volcano. So we set up the volcano. We got the volcano sitting up and everything. And we loaded it with Alaskan. And all of a sudden, we had like people, lines of people coming in like, hey, I want to be the first one to try. And this one guy's like, I think he was from New York. It was so funny. He's like, yeah, I'll, say, I'll be the one. I'll be the shit. I'm the one. Come on. They're like, yeah, no problem, brother. So he comes on up. He he takes the the, the, the vape bag and he's like, and he just takes another hit. He's like, yeah. Yeah, he gets a, just the biggest hit. All of a sudden, he's like holding it in, right? He's holding the hit in. And the next thing you know, oh, ego, it was so funny. The guy goes just like this, like a falling wall. And his two front teeth hit the, t- the, the table. They knocked out of his mouth. He lost his two teeth. They did it there. And he's like, that was the hit. That was the hit. 
And we're all looking like, bro, your fucking teeth are on the ground. And I'll never, never forget that, bro. It just, the times that we had in, in the Netherlands and uh, uh, setting up were just the times of life. I remember one of our first grows. So we're setting up and everything. My brother had went over there to kind of set up shop for uh, me and get everything going and everything. And so I fly in and I'm like, okay, we're ready to go. And he's like, yeah, let's go to the grow store. So we go rent a big U-Haul and we're, you know, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of uh, uh, um, Amsterdam. That's where we're at. We, we live in Amsterdam. We, we live in Amsterdam. And uh, um, uh, what was the other one? Hans, Hanberg or something. It's a little bit down the, the way, but anyway, so we're there. We go, we go to the grocery store, we buy all the shit and load it in. And now we're running late and everything. And I'm driving the vehicle, right? And I don't have a Dutch driver's I don't have any. I just fuck. I just have my driver's license. So I we leave the grocery store. I remember and I'm like, there was this car in front of us. So I jumped the curb in the rental van. And then I like kind of like did a like side little like little crash and burn but i didn't hit anyone and the next thing you know the fucking whoop, 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 the police and then all of a sudden i'm like oh fuck bro look at the fuck we're two americans i got fuck i don't have no idea i don't have no fuck this is fun and the guy the cop comes up and he's like what what are you doing what what are you and, and I, so I had him in my last, he goes, oh, a fucking American. I saw that. No, no. You know, and I'm like, whoa, well, what do you mean? Well, fuck, that was great driving, bro. You fuck, I could have won the Olympics for that. I said something like that, dude. And he's like, what? 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 Are you being smart ass with me? And my brother, <laughs> and my brother's like, Brett, please don't get us a red. He's going to get in the thing. He's going to bust us. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, bro. Okay. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dead or anything. I'm just, I didn't know. I wasn't. Well, then why are you driving in my country? You should not be in my country driving. I was like, okay, April, whatever I have to do, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I apologize. He goes, you just get out of here then. So we get in the car and we drive. And I haven't been to that, the place where we're going to grow yet, right? And my brother's been telling me the whole time, he's like, Brett, you have a lot of fucking equipment. Do you realize what we have to do with this equipment? I'm like, yeah, we got to carry it in. He goes, no, you fucking, you fucking do not. No, fuck that, bro. So we pull up all of a sudden on this side, fucking all apartments, like thousands on our side, thousands. And now I'm going, the light goes off. Oh, this is what you meant. We have to carry this in broad daylight through the side of traffic, across the street, and up into up into the, the other piece. And I'm looking at it and he says, I don't wanna I don't wanna carry that. The people are gonna know. And I have the most gnarliest scar right up somewhere here on the top of my head. I was like, just how I was explaining to you, I was like, oh no. We're doing this, motherfucker. Watch. So I literally was grabbing bales of dirt and shit. Like, and just what? 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 
I'm running them. I run across the street. I'm dodging cars like Frogger with fucking males and fucking go-go and shit. And my brother's like, oh, my God, dude, we're going to get busted. We're fucking going to get busted. I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, we got to get it in there. So I'm running, and I literally, I'm running so fucking fast. I fucking catch the top of my head, and I take out like an inch and a half of gash. I got blood fucking running down my fucking face. I'm like, fuck it. We got to get it done. We can't stop. My brother's like, dude, I think you might need stitches. I'm like, fuck stitches. Give me duct tape. Let's get it done. So we finished it up, dog, and it was incredible. We ended up growing in that place for three years in Amsterdam. And then I went and got another house. I blew it up there. Then I got a huge warehouse, a thousand lighter. I was kicking it there. I was just setting shit up. And I didn't care. I was like, I wanted to show people that no matter what you put in front of me, not only was I going to beat it, I was going to dominate it. And that's the thing. You got to believe. You know, a lot of people, oh, man, that guy's cocky. No, I'm the most confident motherfucker you ever met. That's what I am. And I'm going to bring it to the death. That's who I am. I'm a real motherfucker. <laughs> there, ain't no, there ain't no play in this. Here, I'll pull the gun, put the trigger, kill you, and go home. How you doing? Good night. I don't think twice about it. Ever. Ever. Because I have to be that way. If I'm not that way, then I look to myself like I'm just a shit talker fake guy. And that's not who I am. So it's important to be who you say you are and to do what you say you'll do. Because if not, why are you even talking? So it's important. I really, it's something, you know. And so from that, we, we, we blew out. We, we made great friends with High Times. One of my really, really good friends is Stephen Hagar. He is the founding uh, um, founder of the Cannabis Cup. Came up with the idea in, in the 80s. Uh, went and did all his research. By 1985, the first Cannabis Cup happened in the Netherlands. The first celebration of cannabis openly happened in 1985 in the Netherlands. Um, through that relationship and that friendship, it developed uh, into a lot of, um, you know, I guess as friends, we help our friends out, a lot of special, I don't want to say treatment, but articles and events and sponsorships. I think over the years, I probably put into high times probably about 2.5, maybe $3 million dollars. Uh, in, in advertising. And in, at one time, I brought 185 artists to the Netherlands. I brought String Cheese Incident, uh, Honky Talk Home Slice, uh, which is an offshoot of String Cheese Incident. But most of three of String Cheese, Phil Nash, his wife, and the guitar player, the, <laughs> the bigger parts and the piano player of String cheese, so we, we brought string cheese, but the band at that time was called Honky Tonk Home Slides. We also uh, uh, brought Pyrex. We also brought uh, Muck Sticky. We also brought Los Marijuanos. Uh, 
uh, and we brought, uh, oh, and um, a few DJs, DJ Prime and Select the Lou. We, it was a great time th that year. We won the Cannabis Cup and um, that was our first win after entering the High Times Cannabis Cup. It took us 10 years to win the High Times Cannabis Cup. Took us 10 years. Um, living there, grinding it. Um, and it was really neat because actually it was really cool. That cannabis that we won from, I actually grew that cannabis in Mendocino County. Grew it in Mendocino County in my garage. You can go on YouTube and you can see the video that I grew it. I grew it there and sent it to Amsterdam and entered it and became the first American to grow his cannabis in the United States, send it to Amsterdam, win the cup and come home. So it was, uh, it was really, really for us, it was, you know, the, the feather in the cap, we'd finally kind of uh, um, did it. But I was never really about the whole sitting in and kind of um, the, the full on concentrating just on breeding. I was always trying to do the newest and always trying to expand. And I kind of lost sight really, you know, of, of, where we were going and we really kind of kind of stepped away for a minute and we we moved then after there we moved to northern california we moved to mendocino county uh, where we made our home after winning the cannabis cup full-time and it was really fascinating because right after that we had been working with uh, uh, a strain uh for where where we got it from, we got it from Northern California. We were working with a strain called Grape Ape. And Grape Ape came from a gentleman named, uh, uh, I don't think you'll mind now, uh, but back then he didn't, he didn't want his name to be known. His name is Dallas Nelson. And Dallas, legend in Mendocino County. He's still there. He does such good work. Top-notch, top-notch grower. And uh, at the time, um, he had been growing it. We met up at Eddie Lepp's farm. And Eddie Lepp, for your viewers that don't know and your listeners, uh, Eddie Lepp uh, in 2004 allowed uh, about 12 of us to uh, participate in his farm and his grow. Um, so me and uh, about 12 friends set up what is known today as the largest medical marijuana garden in the history of the United States of America. There were 32,500 plants on 23 acres, making it at the time the largest cannabis grow in the history of the United States of America. It was the cover of the DEA's website for eight years because they'd never seen anything like that before. Not like that, not right off Highway 20, and you just look over to your left when you drive by, and you're like, no, that can't be. Oh, yes, it is. That's the mother load right there, baby. That's the mother load. Um, it was a it took us a long time 
to get that right. We prepped for, uh, we see January, February, March, almost into April. And then by April, we were ready to go. We were banging out anywhere between 150,000 clones a week, selling them to the, to the people. And then at the same time, prepping for our 32,500 uh, plant. We were servicing anywhere between 1,000 and 2,000 people a day. And we were writing prescriptions of upwards of 1,000 prescriptions a day when we were working. We were, and I still believe today, we are the movement that shook the United States to move to legalization of cannabis. That's why when I stand up and I say we are the beginning and end, we moved the puck so far forward that the whole country had to fucking stand up and recognize what just happened. By that, we made it so that everyone else could go, wait a minute, that's you, you guys got that wound up for cannabis? You got that pissed off with your cannabis? And that's when really the tide of this whole thing started changing. Because a little bit right after that, then 2006 hit, and then things really started turning in. They then kind of slipped back a little bit around 2009 and 10. And by 2012, 13, things were really starting to move back in the, where we are today. It's been, you know, it's been a, it's been, a, you know, a journey and, and it's been quite interesting. But the grape, from the grape, once we got that strain, we really started realizing the potential uh, of how the impact of that strain. And what I mean by uh, around that time, it was, and there was a saying, and this is how it, it, it almost still kind of goes this way. It's purple in the Bay and OG in LA. And it's still, that's how it rocks. That's how it rolls. But it wasn't <laughs> really until the late 2010 when we'd already created by that time we had created the Kush. We created the sour grapes. We got the grape ape into a cutting form. We, from the cutting form, there are many phenotypes. So it's really interesting when someone says, well, I have a grape or I have a grape. Okay, well, where'd you get it from? Did you get it from me? No? Well, then how do I know that's a grape? So I, I, I you... You can, you want to go walk around and tell people that? Great. So you must be, you, you like telling lies then, right? You didn't get it from me. How, how's that a great? So I, I'm not, I'm not here to uh, uh, um, give people out of boys while you'll want to grow the strain and not give us anything in return. So therefore I have, I've kind of decided on a new note. We'll go into that in a minute that I'm just not going to allow that to happen anymore. So once we started creating these strains, we were realizing that, you know, we have, we have something here, right? And we see things going on. But of course, with all and everything that happens, we were in, we were in some really beautiful partnerships at the time. We were working, we were helping a young grower out. Well, he wasn't young, but a beginning grower. His name was Kyle Cushman. He used to be the editor for High Times Magazine, the cultivating, excuse me, the cultivating editor for high times. It's a very good friend of mine um, and a very accomplished now, a very accomplished grower. At the time, 
we would think of him almost a baby in diapers, learning how to grow. And that was in 2010. So that means really only in 10 years have you seen someone become supposedly a superstar. So he definitely has some great chops, but everyone has a beginning, just like I as well have a beginning when I started. So um, it was interesting to have a partnership of that. Another gentleman, um, his real name is Neil Smith. He goes by the industry as Shiloh Massive. He owned a company and was partners with Kyle Cushman. And then they had a huge falling and breaking up. Then he got into partnerships. And this was after being a partner with me. Then he got into partnerships with Dallas. And in the meantime, that broke up. The name of his company was called Dying Breed. And during the time of him having a partnership with Dying Breed in third gen, which is out of California, gentleman's name's Brandon, nice guy. He used to work for us back in the day uh, on Eddie's farm and another guy named Medical Mike. So it's good to see, you know, the young youth come out and, and win. You know, Brandon's companies went out and won the Emerald Cup and was known for a lot of his hashes that he learned where to make the hash. Where do you think he learned to make the hash? That's right. That's right. We, we've set a lot of things in motion and we're, we're, we're happy to see people succeed. We're thankful that they're succeeding and we would hope and pray for their continued success. But during those times of our um, fighting and everything, there were just massive breakup. And during that time, as I said, Kyle Cushman, he went off and he started helping this young company out. I think they're called Green Barf or something. Oh, no, that's Green Gauge. I'm sorry. Should be called Green Barf, though, or Green Bullshit. Maybe it's Green Bullshit. Sorry, guys, but when you want to go out and you want to take our strain that Kyle gave you, which is the grape, and then you want to make the grain stomper, and that's what made you and never mention us, I just say Green Garbage. Because that's what your company is, Green Garbage. It's like a fucking piece of shit company. And all you people out there are, are out in Michigan. You go to the green garbage. So you can keep on talking. You say, hey, how was that green garbage today? And you can tell them I said that. Vlad, let them know. Tell them where I live at. I'll put them six feet under and make them smile. I hate thieves. I can't stand thieves. And I can't stand nobodies. And green garbage are nobodies. Sorry. You want to be someone, turn around and tell people how you got it and where you got it and why you got it. You want to be somebody and act like you did something. I mean, that's like me going and fucking your girlfriend. She gets pregnant and then I say, I'm the, I'm, 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 I'm the fucking daddy. Get over it, motherfuckers. That's retarded. Uh, uh, you're not the daddy. I'm your daddy. So I'm green daddy now. So we got that going on and that kind of, that really rubbed me kind of the wrong way. You can see that. I don't like people stealing and I don't like people taking genetics that they didn't do and they didn't make. So then they're going to run around and act like they're somebody. You're nobody. You're nothing. 
You're a thief at best. And the industry should know that. Don't go to a thief store. Why would you do that? So you want to get ripped off then. You want, you want, your, you want your viewers to be ripped off. And they want to be ripped off by thieves? No, man. I don't, I don't support a thief. I won't. I can't. So, you know, uh, uh, you know fucking black fucking green gauge, chronic, everything. They're, they're black, but blackballed in my book because they're thieves. And I wish them luck in their thievery and continue success with their thievery. Um, so those in motion would then set in what I then went on a fighting war for the next almost 10 years of people now deciding, well, we can't beat this guy. So what we're going to do, we're going to use the internet to destroy him. And we know his personality and he'll just, he'll be, he'll, he'll, he'll go into a full on fucking just war. And he'll try to start a war, but we'll just hide behind the cops. And he'll be all good and we'll watch him implode. They knew me better than me at the time. And they were, they were smart. They manipulated the internet because the internet's like a whore, right? You could put anything you want on it. Doesn't mean it's true. And there's no facts. There's no one checking it to say, wait a minute. That's a, that's a, that's a complete lie that can't be on here. We can't, that's not, that's not truth. And once they put your name on something and then they put it out there, now all of a sudden you go and your name comes up. And now all of a sudden you're the CIA, the DEA, the FBI. Really? Okay, cool. So if I'm really that then, and you put out the story to say that, right? And I'll go in one story particular. Hired me <clears throat> to do their grow. And they were this and they were that. And I didn't have seeds and... I, at the end, didn't like uh, 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 what was going on. So I decided to go ahead and call the police on them. But they didn't say that I just called any police. They said I called the FBI, CIA, DEA. They got busted by L.A. County Police from El Monte County. Has nothing to do with the DEA, CIA, or FBI does it. Second, if that's the case, and I did do that, wouldn't you say, I would at least, I would think, I own Club ABC, and my name's Dickwad, or Commissar, or Shit Talker, or Ballet, or Cunthead, or fucking anything. Would you not think that they would do that? Because you're telling the story that the man and you're warning the industry. You're telling them. Yo, that's for my story. Out, it's out. But you don't say what and who your business is or who you are. So what story are you telling us then? And that's what the industry ran on me for a while. And I'm thinking to myself, and of course I did exactly what I said, dude, I was like, 
who the fuck wrote the story? Motherfucker, here's my address. Why don't you just come right here? I got everything for you. Or come right to my house. Come right to my house. Come right to my house. Here, fuck, better than that. Give me your address. I'll come to yours. Let's just fix it now. Let's fix it. And that one motherfucker stood up. I wonder why. I wonder why. And it's, you got little cunts in this industry. Little fucking cunts. I call them keyboard cunts. Keyboard cunts. They sit behind their fucking keyboard. They talk all the shit they don't know. Because common sense is going to tell any of your viewers, okay, David, you get in state trouble, no fucking Fed, FBI, CIA, or DIA is coming. So fucking understand the goddamn system first, you fuckers. If you're going to get in the game, know how the fucking rules work. Second is, is why don't you go see? Have I ever fucking been busted? Have I ever been in trouble? I got one time in my whole life for maintaining a residence in Mendocino County for fucking 1,500 plants. They couldn't bust me for my weed. They could say, well, that was too much weed. So the only thing you did was you you maintained an illegal residence. That's right. So, and who busted you? Oh, that's right. Mendocino County. And oh, by the way, that's right. I did a fucking 180 days in jail. So you're going to make me do my jail time in Mendocino County. Send me out. Make me be the Secret Service fucking FBI, DEI monkey, whatever the fuck you're going to call it. And then go bust the fucking welfare girl. And then with all that information, you're not going to say, my name's Dick Rick. And I own cannabis such and such. Never to this day has that motherfucker ever said who he was. Oh, why? Oh, wait, let me help you. His name's Noble Ector. <gasps> Noble Ector. El Monte County, brother. Got your paperwork from the court, homie. I got proof. But the reality of it is, is the industry is their little bitches. I call it the cunt industry, the cunt industry, because that's all we've got. We work with a bunch of cunts that aren't man enough to ever be or woman enough to know that everything that you do, you could go to prison. Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die? Because I'm willing to do both. How about that? So if you're not willing to do that, step the fuck off. Because I'm willing to go that far. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's like you, you, don't, you don't come rolling on in here and do what I did by not be willing to go that far. No one in this industry. It's like all these cats now look at, oh, I won. Really, motherfucker? Where were you in 1990? Where were you in 2000? Where were you in 2010? So now what you decided because it's cool and you can make money, then now you're the man. And it's uh, really been kind of a, 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 for me, a lot of the fathers of our industry have been forgotten, mistreated, 
all these people today that are owning and running these companies, very few were in the trenches to make this happen. There are some, and you got to give them credit because they've weathered all the way through. <clears throat> but most are really nobodies that now are making all this money and talking about, I run game. Bitch, we made your game. Without us, motherfucker, you wouldn't have a game. But yet you don't give us enough respect. You give us nothing. We're like nobodies. And it's, uh, it's disheartening because a lot of these old school people um, that put their lives, sweat, and tears into it are, are having a hard time. They're, they're going broke. So for us, it's been always about, again, kind of come back to it again, is just being who we are, being real, telling the truth, speak clear, don't um, mince words, be who you are. And we've been this way from the beginning. It's, you know, and maybe it was because of my upbringing, how I was brought up and the, where I was brought up and the things that I had to go through, maybe the things that I've had to endure, you know, but those are my choices, right? I chose to live that life. I, I don't blame anyone else. Like, oh my God, I have such a bad life. No, <laughs> you chose to do that, bro. And you, you've got to live with your consequences, good or bad. You know, I, I don't like to be the person that goes around and like, oh, well, I better go over here. I'm almost going to lose you. I got, I'm on a click one and I'm going to be done. Now it would have been gone. You'd be like, Brett, where did you go? Okay. So we're good. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. The cannabis industry has a, a lot of uh, turns and twists, you know, maybe on another is, is a lot of these we'll go into here of uh, the strains, right? So I know when we first were doing kind of a, we'll call it the interview intake. When I first uh, met up with you, Eagle, we were talking about, uh, different strains, and I was referring to things. And I, I have a, a belief uh, because of the groups and the people that I've worked with over the past 10, you know, 12 years, uh, I've seen the grape ape, which is now to me the number one cross strain in the world. And when I say that, I can look at from the runts, Mac 1, grape stomper. Skittles, GMO, cookies, gelato, sherbet, purple punch, Pluto, and I could be missing a few others, which those are the most popular strains in the United States and the world. As well, you can throw in cookie batter, cake, wedding cake, and a few others as well. Basically, what I just described to you is, is as I was, and I'd like to say this to your viewers, every, uh, everyone has a mother and a father. Everyone does. And it's a beautiful thing. And we really want to reach out to the world and thank our children. And we want to say thank you for going out there and representing us in every possible way and being the best representation that a father could ever imagine their children to be. And mostly, I just want to say, I'm thankful that I'm your daddy. And I'm thankful that I can be your daddy. As you grow up and as you move into the industry, you can always remember you have a true daddy. And I'm just thankful for my kids. And I'm just honored. 
I'm so honored that my kids are doing so well and that we can be represented with such just ultimate love. And so I always just want to thank these guys because they've never thanked me. In fact, they would like to tell you that it's quite different, that the great bait may not even be in any one of those strains. But in fact, I know that it is. So it's a little misleading. And I'd hope that the, the, uh, the audience understands that <clears throat> in some ways, as much as we want to uh, rejoice in the happiness of their success, one, don't ever want to be someone that even when I was talking smack about Green Gage, I still said, hey, continue success. I still think you're a thief, but continue success. The reality of it is, is that we don't, we're not here to want to hate on another business success. That's not what we do. What we want to do is we want to talk about the truth and we want integrity within our industry. We want you to understand how long does it take to breed a strain? Oh, that's right. It could take up to three years. Well, then how did they make all these strains? Oh, well, well, let's take the runts, for example. The runts, someone just went over, got a plant, sugar, booger, snigger, luger, I don't know, something. I don't who knows what it was and go, look, shit, that motherfucker did like runt, bitch. That runt, bitch. And then all of a sudden, now they got runts. They never made it, bro. That's a strain, like literally off the street, just pulling it. Hey, it's a runs. And now everyone's running around with a pecker in there. Like they just did something special. They're robbing you and the whole country for nothing. And everyone's buying it like they're crackheads. Spending more money than you ever did for what? Wait a minute. So what am I really saying here? Well, what's the industry? The industry really is four strains the whole industry right now is really four strains the movers the shakers of the industry not to say that there are other strains but here they are grape ape which is gdp we gave grape ape to ken estes ken estes is the gdp guy the reason he calls it gdp because we told him to call it gdp because during that time, there were two clubs in San Francisco, the first ones, the real ones, way before Steve D'Angelo and all the that funny stuff, because that's funny to me. Our boys were making $100 million a year. Cash. And they made that for three years straight. So old Steve D'Angelo and his $30 million club, how long did that take him to make? That's 10 years. And he didn't see 300 million strong cash because he ended up having to get taxed and he ended up losing his business. So when people want to know who the real deal Holyfield is, his name was Larry. And he walked out with at least 150 strong cash. So when those were going on, that was called the lemon drop in the third floor and all of the old school heads that know what real time it was in San Francisco, know exactly what I'm talking about. Because that's the real club. All the others are chumps, as far as I'm concerned. They're like, they're like paper welfare people. They're, they're not even close to what they were doing. 
we were banging out those packs for 4,500 a peasy at a hundred of racks walking out of there with four, you know, 450 a pop. Like we were popcorn and candy coming in there every week. So it was a different time. Right. And, and those were the way that it was, it was different. And these cats, they just don't, they don't, they don't, they, they understand. And that's what you got to give them credit for. And you can never take it away from their success. They understand marketing, marketing, and I hate to say it, manipulation. Marketing and manipulation. And they became the best at it. The cookie crew is the best manipulator uh, branding machine that I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Off nothing that's real. There's nothing real. And what do I mean by that? So the strain, the cookies itself, was from young kids, Jigga, Red, and Sherbs. They're not so young now. They're in their later 30s, but they were young then. They grew a hermaphroditic strain. It was hermaphroditic. It had seeds in it. They gave it to this chunky rapper named Burner. And they give it to this kid that don't know nothing, can't no sing, no nothing, not got nothing. He's broke. Hand it to broke fucking whoever. He walks his foot wobble. He probably wobbles his ass down there to fucking to uh, yuck mouth too short and E40. And is in the studio there trying to buddy up with them. And brings in the swaggy but yet chronic seeded weed. They pick through all the seeds, the rappers that aren't even really used to getting real good weed. Not back then they weren't, they had no idea about good weed. And now all of a sudden you hand this motherfucker weed. That's probably, you know, and what is it? It's OG cushion, great bait. That's what cookies are. So he hands in the weed, they smoke it. And then all of a sudden, yip, yip, Yippity yay, now you got rap stars and they're singing about weed all day. And cookies, cookies. And it's like, that's why you've never seen. I mean, when, when did you see the cookie crew put it out cookie seeds? You don't. When did you see them putting out gelato seeds? You don't. When did you see them put it out sherbet seeds? You don't. Hey, why don't you go take a look two and a half years ago when Jigga went to uh, uh, you know, love you, bro, but you you messed up and the world needs to know. You showed up to the Emerald Cup, fucking bigger, your balls bigger than Jesus. That You wore them on the top of your head like earmuffs. You had such big balls. We're fucking call you ballsy. And you out there rocking it like you guys own the motherfucking thing, like Jesus Jones and the Heartbreakers. Like, what the fuck, motherfucker? So, and anyways, you're out there flipping and flopping like you're the king. I walk, oh, whoa, whoa, whoop, 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 whoop. You guys are just too cool for your own self. Fuck, I was almost scared to talk to you. I'm not fucking, well, I don't know. So I roll up and he's like, oh, bro, I got the London pound cake. And I'm like, okay, bro, what? Cool. That sounds stupid as fuck, but okay. Uh, and next we're going to have the Gary Payton. And I'm just like, dude, that's dumb. But okay, cool. You fools want to go buy some stupid ass wheat? You go do that. But here's the problem, what he did. 
he made the seeds. Remember, I told you everything's hermaphroditic, right? That's the bloodline. It's fucking, it's a, it's a mutant ninja turtle. So he goes out and fucking sells one million, get it right, one million of Hermy seeds. I bet you money, if you break that down, so you sell a million Hermy seeds. Let's say each one of those had 10 packs, right? So you sold close to Jesus. And I think they were like 400 or $500 a pack. Dude, it was retarded. It was so retarded. And he sold out. And every single one hermaphrodite. So how much money and time did he destroy? Get it? Get it real. You might, he might have destroyed $100 million. He easily could have destroyed $100 million. Easy. That's a fact. And, and you guys still want to go out and buy from the cookie people? That's what you want to do, right? It's at what point do people fucking just go, dude, do we like getting ripped off? Do we like being lied to? Do we like being cheated to? This isn't fun. And it's not right when you go out and because someone gives it to super hyphy and the next thing you know, your eight should be $25. That's what your eight should be. Okay, you should be able to go to the store and pay $25 for your eight. Okay, so why do you want why do you have to go to the store and pay 60 to 80 dollars an eight for the weed that you've been smoking for the past 22 years? Think about what I just said. Why are we doing this? You should boycott the cookie store, you should boycott the green gauge store. And tell you mandate to them, we the people are not going to pay for your bullshit anymore. We're going to we're going to break you, just like you broke us. The whole thing about cannabis was to help, heal, and honor, not rob, steal, and pillage. And that's what you have, and they think it's cool. While people that need and have to have it have now the laws have been taken from them. The ability to grow their own has been taken from them. Or the ability to even go into the store to purchase quality cannabis really has been taken from them because they can't afford it. But yet the game wants to keep running to let's be cool and be a fool and keep going back to a well that looks like hell. It's not right. And people have to stand up and you have to want justice for us, the people. I've always believed I was the people's grower. I always believed that I did it for the people. My intention was always to help. My intentions was to always give. We at Apothecary are the largest donator in the history of the Seattle Hemp Fest. Without us in 2000 five and six with our donations uh, upwards of a hundred thousand dollars in each of those years there would not have been the largest event in north america me and my company made that happen without us 
there might not have been a Seattle Hamfest. We drew 300,000 people in a two-day event for 10 years straight. It's the largest event in North America. We started with 500 people and made it to 300,000. There is no event anywhere in the world when it comes to cannabis. We would eat you five times in size. You have no way to compete with us. We run the game. Unfortunately, last year was the last year that they were able to actually have the Seattle Ham Fest, actually the year before, in Myrtle Edwards Park at Pier 71, because I think either Yahoo or Amazon or someone bought the site. And so we can no longer have our event there. Last year, they had the event online. I don't know exactly how it went or I don't know what happened or not, but um, it's been, you know, it's been something that we uh, uh, constantly and will always, uh, um, you know, yap our mouth. And, you know, we're just we're going to be constantly uh, um, jumping up and uh, taking names and pushing people just like uh, uh, um, we feel like we've got to be pushed. But at the same time, again, it's not about arguing or fighting with people. It's not about going out and printing bad things or not. We're just not about that. We'd rather take our energy, put it into positive things. We don't have a problem telling you how we feel. That That's not an issue. But I think to go further than that, to run around and type on the internet and go out and beef with people. No, man, we don't, we don't. Now we're here. You want a beef? Come, come right to us. I'll give you my address. No problem. I'd love to fucking put a bullet in your head. That's no problem. But that's not what I want to do. But I'll be happy to do it if you want me to do it. I mean, fuck, I mean, it'd be fun watching blood go everywhere. But that's not my intention. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just not where we're at. I, I, I killed plenty of people in my lifetime. I don't need to kill anyone. I don't have enough blood on these hands. Watching dead people die in front of you begging for their life, it's not fun, man. It's not cool. Back in the day, it was. It was fun killing people. I don't want to kill anymore. I'm done killing. I don't want to kill anymore. It's enough time where you have to look at it. I felt well, a lot of times there was in self-defense anyway, so that's a whole other story. Um, they'll never find the bodies. They're burnt. They're gone. Pigs ate them. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. No evidence. No nothing. Sleep tight. Figure it out. So they can figure it out. They can do as long as they want. Go fuck. It'll be a lifetime to figure it out because they'll never figure it out. So the beautiful thing about life is just knowing that there's always an in, there's always an out, and love prevails over everything. Love is the answer. Love will heal. Love will help. And love will take us to where we want to go. It took a long time for me to get to that mindset. It took a long time for me to understand that you don't have to do carnage or damage in order to get your point across. You'll get a lot more love and respect by being in control, watching how you speak, watch what you say, be careful about the groups and the things you do, and be careful about implicating yourself into things that you can't get yourself out of. That's very important. 
because a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of things in life that happen and don't happen for reasons. And we all go through things. We all have our, our, our challenges, no matter who you are. Business could be in real estate, could be working in a restaurant. We all have different uh, problems and it's how you deal with it. Cannabis for me has been a salvation uh, where I can go into, go into the gardens, get away from dealing with average people, their garbage, their bullshit, and just get lost in the plant and, and lost in its energy, lost in its vibes, lost in a, like almost a trance where it's you. And what I like to say is it's you and this female. It's you and your lover. Really, that's really what it comes down to. Because if you think about a, a female, what does she want? She wants to be loved, caressed, constantly reinsured, excuse me, to give her that confidence, to give her that love and really stand there for her. Well, that plant's looking for the same thing. It wants to be touched. It wants to be loved. It wants to be talked to. And by giving that love and that nature to that plant and, and that constantly interaction between you and the plant, I find that my plants respond to that more. They are more vigor. They're more stronger. They produce more flower. Um, and it's a conscious connection uh, between the plant and me. Um, I think the smaller the garden, the more uh, intimate the cannabis relationship is. And beyond that relationship, I even believe the cannabis will actually be better. And I don't know if you've had experiences in with smaller rooms versus larger rooms. But most of the time, almost every time, when you move from a smaller, let's call it a 20 to maybe 100 lighter, and you go into a 500, 1,000 lighter or more, the cannabis tends to degrade as far as the quality and the consistency of the cannabis. That's been my experience throughout the industry worldwide. And I'm not sure really what it is other than it comes down to the labor and the amount of attention that the plants are getting versus a small grow versus a large grow. So it's really an intimate thing for me. Um, I look at it like almost making love, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a very special relationship between the female plant and its uh, caretaker. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration because I don't think they realize when they look at it as this being a living organism, such as a beautiful woman, a living organism, and a living being. The plant is everything to me, the exact same thing. So <clears throat> that's what it is. So what else? What else? What do we know? It's been a... Uh... You just let me in abruptly like that with what I was saying. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you just got to get a little switch up here. You know what I'm saying? You know, just, you know, figure out, you know, is there, is there some, maybe some things that you as a, you know, an, an interviewer might want to ask, things that maybe you heard, things that you 
uh, uh, maybe want some clarification on or that maybe your viewers, maybe you think that your viewers might know or want to know, excuse me. Oh, this is the perfect time. You guys, if, there's been a hundred questions. I just, I've Not- just been letting them. <laughs> so, oh, I see, well, I, I, yes. you know what, Ego, I see you kind of smiling, kind of like, you know, think, and there's got to be some, there's got to be some uh, gems in there. So throw them at me. Let's go. So I'm waiting for them to come up because they're sure to be so. And then secondly, Brett, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to level up with you. I knew this was going to be a good one. So I kind of indulged. I had some microdosing tonight. Nice. And about, about midway through the fucking balls and the handshaking, I really started like peeking out there and everybody in chat's like, look, look at him. He hasn't said nothing in like an hour. Look at him just tripping balls over there. So, <laughs> It's awesome. It's been it's been a fun one for sure. So the first one that comes up right off the bat, they say, "Where did he get the grape bait? Where did so he I got get the so the, the grape bait is and and let's be you know just so frank and honest. I believe today, and I'm still I've always thought this: Mendo perps, grape ape, uh, Mendo perps, grape ape, the perps, and GDP. All the same strain. It's all the same. Okay. Um, what do I think it originally came from? I think it's an Afghani Paki strain uh, that was brought in probably from a lot of the guys that came in from the Vietnam War that were up in Mendocino and Humboldt. And then all of the growing that was going on during the 70s and 80s that was happening. And it, it became, you know, very popular. The, and then again, it was called the Mendo Perps, the Perps, uh, uh, then then the uh, uh, Grape Ape, and then the GDP. But it's all, again, the same family, maybe a different pheno, because there's some phenos that are really kind of more green, but keep that kind of a grape taste. And then there's that predominant purple that people know as the Grape Ape, okay? Uh, the strain, though, as far as where did we get it, we got that strain around 2000. We started working with it around 2002, 2003. By 2003, Dallas Nelson, which is he owns uh, um, uh, Duke's Duke's High Grade, Duke's High Grade out of Mendocino uh, County. Uh, really good friend of mine, and he gave us the strain during that time. Dallas was. I mean, Neiman Christmas, yeah. It was 17 years ago. Uh, Dallas was a young, young, just young in, in his early 20s, just all over the place. Just the motorcycles, boats, chicks, parties, 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 more parties, more girls. It was, it was insane, man. Dude, he lived a life of rot. It was out of control, bro. So, and he's just like, dude, I don't want anyone to really know. Um, you take it. You just go with it. Run with it, bro. Just run the game. You can know it. You. You go. And so I was like, okay, bro. Are you sure? You don't want any? You don't want to be part of it? You don't want to? He said, no. I want nothing. 
And it's ironic uh, because I think now hindsight, he can look at the industry now and probably he definitely should have stayed in it more. But I never want to go out and take full credit. And I don't. I mean, today I put something on the Internet on Facebook to say, hey, because, uh, you know, D's like, you know, he, he got on. He, he's like, yeah, you're the fucking amigo man. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, bro. Uh, I didn't do this and I couldn't have done this without you. You helped me do this. And, 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 and I will never not. The thing about that's very important to, to your listener and to, to the guy that asked the question. There's no such running out and taking a, a, a claim for something uh, uh, that you, you didn't do wholeheartedly. You, I did it together with someone when I was given the strain. Then I took it out and I'm the one that brought it everywhere. And I'm the one that got it to whoever I was going to get it to. Right. I got it to Europe. I got it to this state. I, got it, I did that. I put the grows in and um, eventually have done in this last year. We finally have started breaking out and we're going to be making seed um, that I feel is the truest, most purest of the form of the genetic. Because as you said earlier, well, I know this guy, has, he says he has grape and this person and that person. And that's, I, I saw this guy at seeds. Okay, well, great. Cool. Uh, um, Where did you get it? Because you didn't make it. So how did you do that? Because if you have regular seeds of grape A, how did you do that then? Where did you get how, did you, so you got the mother and, and, and the father? Really? What are they? See what I'm saying? They couldn't have done it. It's bullshit. It's a lie. So that's where, but that's where we got it. We got it Mendocino County, 2002, 2003, and from Dallas Nelson off of Eddie Lepp's farm. Great big. Well, this next question, I already know that where this one's going to go, but this is a question direct from Chad. So I'm going to ask this one and then I'm going to step and I'm going to go get a sweatshirt because I know, I know you're going to be good for a second once I ask this question. <laughs> okay. All right. So T, T. Barrington says he would like to know your thoughts on the cannabis or Canadian cannabis industry and its strength. Okay, so the can the Canadian cannabis industry at the conception from the beginning of the model that they had and they took really thought it was going to be something special. But what I believe it ended up happening was is that they shot themselves in the foot. And I remember, I mean, like it was vividly, I remember having a meeting with Tilray, the, the CEOs. Uh, also Aurora, also uh, Canopy, and there was another one too. Anyways, I remember them coming to Jamaica, and I remember them so excited about the laws and what was going to happen, and I kept on explaining to them that I felt that there would be a major, major problem in Canada when it came to the production the production cost of cannabis. And they kept on telling me, what do you know? You, you don't know anything. And I kept on telling them, like, listen, and I remember talking to the CEOs, telling them they're going to fail. And these guys came from, every one of them came from not the cannabis industry. So they were wealthy business guys and they were successful in their businesses. And rightfully so, they probably were somewhat uh, conceited in their business approach. And they're very 
a matter of fact, oh, no, we're going to do it. And we've got billions of dollars and such and such. And I, I told him, I go, I don't care if you had a hundred billion. I'm telling you what will happen. And again, they're like, well, what do you know? Well, what do I know? I'm the fucking P. Diddy of the cannabis industry, bottom line. I'm the daddy. I told these big money-making people and these guys that got all this cash how their game was going to work. They didn't listen. And then what happened? They lost almost $40 billion. So I could have saved the Canadian country $40 billion. But who am I, right? I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. So it was that and 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 then ultimately who and this and this would be to anyone you have to look at your demographic who are you going to sell the cannabis to okay so you're going to grow it great and you're going to pass all the rules regulate and it's going to pass it's ready to be sold who's buying it and what the canadians did is they built these motherships motherships with no one to sell the cannabis to So it was like the most dumbest. But remember, these are the most sophisticated college graduate, MIT, Harvard graduates Jesus has ever seen. Fuck, don't go to college. It's a fucking waste of money, fools. Fucking all you do is get stupor. You get dumber. And all you had to do was listen to a dude that barely finished high school. And he could have saved the country of Canada 40 fucking billion dollars. But who am I? I'm a nobody. So they shot themselves in the foot for greed and simply greed and stupidity. They allowed, frankly, nobodies to run multi-billion dollar cannabis companies with never having experience in the cannabis industry, not even understanding how to grow a plant or extract a plant or to make an edible or to make a tincture. They don't got a fucking clue. All they see are dollars. And that's the problem with the industry. It's, you got to take the money out of it. You got to put the love. Remember when I was talking about, it's all about love. You got to bring the love back into it. So that's kind of how I feel about that. As far as the strains and everything, Casey Jones used to be a pretty big company back in the day. And I think they're still in business. Used to rock them back in the early 80s and 90s. Um, of course, uh, my my friend, Matt Harvey, he owns a BC Bud Depot. Um, sometimes I have to raise up and say to myself, man, I made his company famous. One of his first big strains was God Bud and, and uh, another purple strain. And that's how he—that's how he got put on the map. That was a great babe cross. Uh, Soma Seeds, one of the largest, baddest seed companies in the world. I just was told uh, a few months ago his lavender's a great babe cross that I gave him the great babe. Never told me that. Never told me that. See, but it—they—it's like they can't want to lift another person up they can't want to lift you up um you know we'll give it to another one we'll step out a little bit out of that we'll even go to europe so the greenhouse seed company 
In uh, 2007, I gave them Chem Dog 91. I gave them Bubba Kush and I gave them Kaya Kush. Since, two, since 2007, they haven't won a cannabis cup without me. I am the greenhouse. So the flower power, that's not flower power. That's Bubba Kush. That's a, that's a runt game that they just did on you right there. They just did a runt game on you. They all did with They said, oh, change that name. Change that name. And that's what they're doing right now. And it's just so ucky. You know, the industry needs to, you know, take control. But uh, so um, the two companies that I would uh, suggest are Casey Brains and also uh, uh, BC Bud Depot. Those are the only two companies that I would uh, stand up and, you know, say, hey, I, I know them personally and uh, I know that they do honorable work. And those are in Canada. So there's that's what I think about that. You there? Sorry, you I'm muted. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah I muted myself there. Uh, you want to tell us about the Kayakush there a little bit? Yeah, sure. So the the Kayakush was something that, you know, it's really dear and true to my heart. It's my daughter. That's my daughter's name, Kaya. And we had been working with an OG Kush that I got from a gentleman named, his name is Chad Ray. Uh, Chad Ray is out of uh, Boonville. There's a lot of uh, video, a lot of multimedia, probably is the largest content holder in the world when it comes to the cannabis industry. Probably has close to 100,000 hours of content starting from 2005 all the way through worldwide. All videoed, all dialed in. Um, really, really good friend of mine. Love him to death. And so he got me the OG Kush. And we were fortunate enough uh, before uh, Neville, uh, uh, unfortunately, for your viewers and everything, you know, there's so much in the industry. But Neville, God bless his soul, Neville Schumacher, Schumacher, he um, has, you know, oh man, I love him to death. Had a major, you know, bad drug problem, had a heroin a really bad heroin problem. And um, just before he kind of got deep into it again, me, Eddie Lepp, uh, Neil Smith, Shiloh Massive, and my brother met up with Neville at the Cannabis uh, Castle in Amsterdam. And we were given some original hazes, some original super silver hazes, and some other stuff. We brought those strains back. And we bred the uh, Super Silver Haze with the Kaya Kush. And that strain went on to win the 2007 Cannabis Cup, uh, one of the strongest strains at the time. It was uh, registered almost 29%, 29.5% THC. And was really just, it was a dominant. I mean, that strain was so dominant. And um, so we just, we were very fortunate. And uh, it was funny, we, we win the cup. And, you know, generally after winning the cup, you have the big party and everything like that. And I was like so excited to win. And I'm such a family guy. I mean, that's really what I'm all about is family. That 
I grabbed, I took the cup and me and my, she's my ex-wife now, we went back to our room and celebrated with my five-year-old daughter. And that's how we won the cup. Now, of course, there were thousands of people having a party. Everyone in the world was wondering where we were at. And the next morning when I came out, they're like, dude, what? I don't understand. We had raging parties until four in the morning. Where were you? Well, I go, I had the best party of my life um, with my wife and my daughter, the most important people in this world. So we really have to take in consideration of what one works in our life and know this. And maybe I'll kind of leave this, I'll end it on that little question here is, the average man lives 80 years. You know how many days that is? You know how many days that is? Here you go, Eagle. It's 29,400 days. So are you really old? You live 29,400 days and you're dead. And you're dead. Stop worrying about the little things when you fall down. Stop worrying about the little scratch on your car. Stop worrying about not getting there just right on time. Because every last second is your last second. Life is the fastest life that you'll ever know. By the time you figure out what life is, you're dead. Stop Worrying so much about the things you cannot control and worry things you can control. Imagine yourself with a round box around yourself and imagine you as that person concentrating on everything you have to do as a person to be the best person on earth. If we all did that, we'd have the best earth you could have. It's important, man. It's all about love. It's all about love. So very true. So very true. Uh, I listened to one of the mentors. I listened to uh, Jim Rohn. Uh, basically, uh, states that pretty much what you're saying there once you stop and think about you know your life and you put it into perspective much like you have in days uh man you really start taking and looking in life differently i mean at my age you know 48 you said 80 you know what i mean so that make 30 if i go you know if i go fishing once a year that's 30 times i've got left to go fishing you put it in perspective like that you you start to you start to cherish those thirty times, <laughs> you know what and I mean? It could be that, and and like you just said, think about that scene. Like, look at that. Look if you were didn't live by a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, a loved one, whatever you want to call it, right? And break down what you just said, Eagle. Check it out. That means you got to see the motherfucker, your loved one, thirty last times, and that's it. People need to get in touch with what's going on, bro. They need to get in touch with this. Touch the earth. Nothing is that important that you have to get that what worked up about. You know, you ever seen the guy that drops the coffee and then fucking breaks the window? You know what I mean, right? He dropped the coffee. But now because he's mad at the coffee, he broke the window. 
So now you have the coffee bro you have the coffee on the ground, you have a broken window, and you have a cut up hand. So what did you accomplish? What did you accomplish? But we do it all the time. Almost every one of us in this world, man, child, woman, dog, even dogs and cats, they're all they're they're entitled, they do it too. We have to learn, and it's a it's a very it's a it's a skill set to learn how to not get so emotionally attached to a, an article, to a, a thing that's not real. It's not life. So I've had to go through, you know, and as we're talking tonight, I myself have had to deal with a lot of personal issues. And I've had to learn how to deal not only with my own ego, my own attitude, and to put it in check and to give people respect. To, to you, know, gotta, you know, how do you get respect? You give it. It's the oldest saying in the world. How, I can't expect you to respect me if I fucking am just shit talking, shit talking, pushing you around. You're not going to respect me. But you would respect me if I came to you with that respect. And I, and I stood there talking to you with respect. Then we can have mutual respect. But until we have that, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to move forward. And a lot of it is is to to the the indifferentist between me and you. You might go down the road and instead of going straight, you zigzag, but we what we end up at the same place, right? Does that make it wrong because you zigzag? Or does it make it wrong because I asked you that it zigzagged? Because I don't think it's right. The point that I'm making is that neither are right. It's right for the person. What's right for you doesn't make it right for me. And I don't know if you have to zigzag down the road. I might have to fucking jump like a frog down the road. I don't know. But it doesn't mean that I can't get to the end of the road. And it doesn't mean that I'm not qualified to get to the end of the road. It's just I jump and you wiggle to the road. But how is it then out of the jump and wiggle? And I'm just using this as an example. How is it then now I have an opinion that you're wrong? Wait a minute. We both achieved the same goal. We got there at the same time. So how is it that my way is right and your way is wrong? It's not. But we constantly as people want to somehow correct the other person and tell them, well, you're wrong. No, 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 I'm not wrong. You're wrong for telling me I'm wrong. You're wrong for not seeing that there are multiple ways to skin a cat. And what is that way for you is not that way for me. It's like ninja, ancient ninja fighting. You have to be able to dig deep and it starts in here and it ends up in here. Starts here because you got to think about it. Then you got to feel it. And then you got to do it. And if you're not willing to intake those three engaging things that our body, mind, and soul do, you're probably just going to punk it out and, oh, no big deal. And, oh, I tried my best. And really, you didn't put an effort forth at all. And then looking back to go, why does it always happen to me? Why is every time everything's against me? And I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because you're not willing enough to challenge yourself to expect the best out of yourself. And when you want that, you'll get that. You got to dig deep. You got to dive. 
before you fly. You got to die before you fly. Because once you die, you're going to see the inner parts of things that you never really wanted to see. You're going to face the demons that you didn't want to face. And at the end of the day, the only demon it is, you know who it is? You. You're the biggest demon that you'll ever have in this lifetime. And until you look in the mirror and you face that demon and you tell that demon, no, motherfucker, I'm here. I'm live. I'm proud. And I'm winning. And believe in yourself because you are the one. There's no one else. Yes, you can have loved ones that can encourage you and everything else. But you have to be the one. And you have to believe the unthinkable, the unbelievable. That's how things, that's how world records get broke. When a cat says, I can only high jump uh, seven foot. No, I can high jump nine foot. Believe the unbelievable and achieve reality. I'm just, I come I don't know what it is, maybe because of my life and the things that I've had. I really believe in motivation, motivating people, finding you show me negativity, I find positivity. You show me anger and hurt, I show you happiness and love. You show me sorrow, I show you greatness. I will lead you out. We will win. And if you're afraid, hold on to my hand because I'm going to guide you to victory. It's just, it's something within us. And, you know, if Cass is watching, she's probably laughing right now at me because we had a long talk about the spirit within us as individuals. And that spirit is a Kendall spirit. And it's something that you, I think it's, you're born with it. And as long as you're willing to take this and push it all the way, you can achieve anything you want. There's nothing you can't achieve. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, that I remember the first time when I went, I was about 27, 28 years old, the first time I went to a cannabis cup. And I remember standing in the venue. And I remember standing there. I remember seeing Ben Jonkers. I remember seeing... Uh, Aryan and Derry and uh, all these guys, they're all wearing these just old Dutch suits and they were walking around with cannabis like feathers in their hats. And it was just incredible. I'd never seen anything like it in my life, right? I remember standing there. I remember Ben uh, Jonkers holding up the cup for like a skunk or whatever it was. I don't know what a bubble gum. I, I don't even remember. Okay. But holding up, and I remember I go, in fact, you know, by then I was already, you know, I was, dude, I was slinging 1,000, 2,000 PZs a month. I was killing it. Like, dude, I was, I was on, a, I was on a whole nother nation and just touring the, the whole world. Like, so weed, so weed, so weed, so weed, like fucking the, the fucking drugstore, so weed, so weed. And it was, un dude, it was incredible. Like I was, I had, we had our own boats. We had submarines. We had fucking hauled out semi-trucks. Fuck, dude, just tons, 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 tons. Just, it was incredible. And so I remember standing there and I was looking, I was looking, and I was looking around and I was so high. 
I mean, I was, I never smoked that much marijuana and that much good marijuana. Cause the back then the weed in Amsterdam was fire. Oh God. The bubble gum, the AK 47s, the white widows, the white rhinos, the fog, bro, the super silver haze, the haze, the amnesia hazes were fire. And I just remember like, just, Oh my God. And so I'm standing in the crowd and I'm, I'm like, there would be, you'd go in like, like two, three hour bouts. Like you'd go, you'd get super baked and then you'd go back to the room. You'd go to like the little candy shop, get all the sugar you could eat up on the sugar and then pass out for like three or four hours and wake back up and then do it. You know, like rotate, rotate, just return. So I'm standing in the crowd. I'm looking and I'm like, bro, I'm fucking coming back here and I'm getting me one of those fucking cups. I'm, I'm coming, fuck, I'm getting that motherfucker. And it literally, it took me 12 and a half years and I got a cup in Amsterdam, right where I said I'd win it. So that's why I'm trying to, that's why I gave the story of this, the speech, the rah-rah speech is like, yo, set your mind to something. Don't ever underestimate yourself. The only failure is you. If you want it, you'll do it. So, anyways. I agree with that mentality 100% right there. I say a lot of the times, you know, people, you don't know what you're capable of. So, a lot of times, you know, how can people put a limitation on yourself when you don't even know what you're capable of? I heard you mention, you know, friends and family. A lot of times you can't. I have to emphasize this. You can't listen to friends and family because a lot of times they may tell you that you can't because they don't want to see you supersede them uh that's more times than not that uh, a friend will tell you that because they don't want to see you do better than them a loved one may (laughs) tell you not to may not encourage a dream because they don't want to see you fail. They love you that much that uh, they don't want to see you stumble and fall. But a lot of times, that's just part of the process, stumble and falling. Because, you know, it's just part of the lessons and on the way to the dream. Uh, so you can't listen to them. You got, Like you said, you have to believe in yourself that it's possible. You know, you can do it. And you can't necessarily listen to friends and family. They might, and It might be supportive, maybe negative. But in the end, it, it is what what you think about yourself and what you're doing. Uh, very it's, true statement. Very. It, and, and it's something, too, like, to go, to, maybe to add a little bit to what you just said, is like, you got, you got family and everything else. And it, I remember back in the day when I first started, my mom was so against me being in the cannabis industry, right? For the, for the laws the, and mostly the laws and getting in trouble and those type of things. And, you know, she was just like, you know, you, you just seem to just, you know, live in trouble <laughs> and you just, you know, more and more. And it was funny um, because of my drug and alcohol use and my violent tendencies when I was younger, uh, my mom probably thought just that more of that was just down the road, right? Because of the cannabis. But oddly enough, as time went on, and not only did I change a lot of my friends, my attitude, the way I looked at life and how I went about things, I started to appreciate, as you're talking about, and looking at my age and my kids and, you know, I need to be here. I don't need to be six foot under. I don't need to, you know, act like this. I don't need to do that. 
And as I started doing that, I think cannabis helped me kind of open that, as they say, that third eye to open up my consciousness level of understanding who I was. And I remember one day my mom came over to where I was living and she comes in and, you know, I could tell that she was, that it was a little different that day. And I could tell that, you know, someone was on her mind. So she comes in and, you know, it was, it was a great day for me, but she comes in and she says, sits down, I got one to talk to you. I'm like, okay, go, cool. let's talk, mom, no problem. So we started talking. She goes, you know, I feel like I, I've let you down. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty heavy duty. You feel like you let me down. She's like, you know, you were definitely a special child. You caused us a lot of grief when you were younger. And there's a lot of times we had police here and different things here in school. And there's a lot of times you were suspended. I went to five high schools. Uh, um, you know, just is a lot of problems. But I have to say, since you quit a show called drugs, hard drugs, and alcohol, I see a change in you. I see a change of honesty, earnest about who you are, about trying to be a better person. And so I want to tell you I was wrong. I'm happy you smoke cannabis, and I see cannabis makes you a better person. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm for you now smoking cannabis. And I was like, whoa, that was change. But as a parent, now I have to look at, I'm a parent now of, you know, children. And I have to look and I have to say to myself, I, uh, having four children, um, this is, I have three girls and one son. And, uh, I have uh, six grandsons um, that as a parent going through, of course, all my children have graduated high school. Um, one has gone uh, uh, to a vocationary school. The other one's getting ready to go to college. And my son, which is the youngest, he will be attending college as well. What I'm saying is, A, as you can see the difference now in how they were raised, and their upbringing, and what they got into, and what they didn't get into, right? That I was a constant in front of them, explaining to them that they'd never wanted to end up in some of the situations that I did. And sometimes when they go out and they get, I can remember my girls one time, they were drinking, and they got in an accident or some, I don't know, some crazy shit, whatever it was. It wasn't too bad, thank God. Nothing too serious, right? And I remember my daughter's like, he's going to tell the police, my dad's going to kill me. It's going to, you don't understand. My dad's crazy. And so I show up and I'm, and, and, and the fucking cop was nice to my daughter and he didn't take her to jail, whatever like that. Oh no, bro. I was there. I was like, what the fuck motherfucker. I was calling the cop, you motherfucker. And the cop's like, what the fuck? This guy's fucking calling me a motherfucker. I'm like, you fuck. This motherfucker was driving drunk and you didn't fucking take her to jail. You're a fucking bitch. And that's what I told the cop. Called him a fucking bitch. Told him he's a cunt. And he got, dude, he was so pissed. He got in his car and he just drove off. And he looked at my daughter and he's like, she's like, fuck, you are kidding. Your dad's fucking mental. And then he just, he left. But he knew he didn't do his job. He let a drunk off. 
And to me, I'm not like that. I don't do that. My kid or not, man, I'm not, this isn't special favors. So what? My kid goes out and kills someone then I want special favors. No, man, it's called responsibility. It's called take care of yourself and be accountable for your actions. And if you're my kid, you better remember what last name you have. Cause if not, I'll wipe that right off your fucking forehead and take you out because you are under my roof. You're under my care. And when you walk out of those doors and you use my last name and you fuck up, who, who, what does it look like? I'm a fucking idiot over here. And then all these fucking people are going to judge me like I'm raising some two bit fuck nut. So I was pretty hard on my, I mean, I like, I don't think people like, you know, that guy, fuck, he was hard on his kid. Yeah. But my girls had life. Each of them had four or five, you know, new cars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cars go where they want. They travel the world. They got to go on vacations around the world. You know, um, they got to do a lot of stuff that people never get to do in a lifetime and live like people didn't get to do. But again, it goes all back to about being accountable for your actions and being a, a good person. So shoot me. I see you got some more questions. Uh, and somebody wants to know if you can talk about the black, the big, and UBC chemo. The black? I'm sorry, the black? The black, the big, and UBC uh, chemo. Yeah, chemo. And UBC chemo? Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm a little lost. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But maybe they might be able to give us some more information than that. It may be. I have to wait for the delay. You know, there's okay. 20 seconds between the time we talk and the time we hear. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, overall, I agree with the whole uh, mindset uh, that you have about winning there, you know. I enjoy the, the, you know, when people tell you I can't. I, I, my response to that shit is, I'm glad you can. There you go, hundred <laughs> percent. That's that's the best answer that I think you could give them without being condescending, without being disrespectful. It's like, oh, thank you, and I'm glad that you realize you can't do that. Have a nice day. Thanks. You know, it's always best to just kill them with kindness. You know, it really is, and it's just there's no sense. And, and uh, getting in a conflict. It's, it's, you, you, there's no winners. You know what I mean? There's really not. So. Well, while we're waiting for that clarification, uh, Ian would like to know, what's your soil recipe? Do you grow in soils? I guess we I didn't do. even cover that. No, no, and that's great. Great question. So I uh, tend to, if I'm going to be where I can go and make and I say make my soil, so I buy organics, everything from back guanos, sea kelps, worm castings, boron. Um, also, I'd like to use some micro beneficials, some enzymes. And then I'd like to go ahead and um, I'll put some type of uh, for water drainage and things of like that. Maybe some rice uh, uh, um, core. 
Um, I might put some perlite um, and things of that nature, maybe some cocoa, just depends on what, mixing all that up um, into uh, a huge, like almost like a big vat, if you will. Once I have that done, that becomes then my, my dirt, uh, a medium base, if you will. From that, I then like to make what is an organic tea. Um, um, I'm, I will do the same almost process. I'll take the back guanol, worm casting, seaweed, and micro beneficials. I'll take the first three ingredients. We'll get a 55-gallon drum, a water stone, and an air pump. I'll throw those first three ingredients into the um, basically reservoir. Uh, it will brew for a minimum of eight hours, but I generally like to brew it for at least 24 hours. So I'll start the day before. Then eight hours before I'm going to start to use the product. For your listeners, most probably don't know. I didn't know this. Uh, in fact, when I first started using, I didn't know. But the micro beneficials have, if you will, if I, I don't know if it's proper, but a, a shelf life. That's probably what I'd say, but it will use the shelf life of eight hours. So if you put those micro beneficials into your living water, because you've brought in air and all the different, okay, you have an eight hour period for that to be good. And after that, micro beneficials know nothing. Bye bye. So if you're not putting them in that, so you don't have to put them in the eight hours before, you could put them in four hours before. You could put them in that, that minute before if you wanted to. But they only have an eight-hour shelf life. By going into your liquid, okay? Now, what I would also suggest in that same formulation that I just gave you, I would then top dress once a week. And I would top dress with the four ingredients, the seaweed, the micro, the baquano, and the sea kill. And I literally just go over the plant on the, on, the, on the ground, right? On the dirt. And by the way, that recipe with, so I use that recipe as my additives. My base was uh, Botanicare, Pure Bun Pro. So Pure Bun Pro, which is not organic, by the way, obviously. And that formulation was what I grew the cannabis that was sent to the High Times Cannabis Cup, where it was 28 or 29.5% THC. Some of the highest THCs that I've ever had. And that was the Kaya Kush. So martial artists, I believe you have covered this a couple times, but martial artists is asking uh, the lineage of grape ape, which you did cover, and is it the same as Mendo Perps or related? It's all the same. It's all the same, just different phenotypes, but literally the same strain. Mendo Perps, the Perps, GDP, and grape ape, same strain. The lineage, as far as I can tell, and what the stories that we've been told for some of the older growers that were in the Mendo, the Humboldt, the Lake County areas, where we're all kind of been, you know, doing for the past 
15 or so years uh, came from Afghani, Paki, um, where the strains themselves uh, generally are completely purple in its uh, phenotype. Now, understand this. Every strain in the world can be purple if you want it to be. Every strain in the world can be purple if you want it to be. You just tell me if you want, and I'll tell you the secret. All you do is, so all that you have to do is when when your last three to four weeks, turn your room down to about 55 degrees. And watch everything purple up. Your whole, everything will purple. Everything you have in there, it will be purple. There will be purple streaks through it, everything. So really, you could change the, the, uh, the not, I don't want to say the DNA, but the, the structure, the, the makeup of the, the plant by changing the temperatures. And you can also mess it up by being a too warm. The temperature is too warm, so maybe we'll give you a little on that so your your room temperatures need to be between 68 and 82.5 68 and 82.5 the highs and lows of your room temperature wise now depending on if you use co2 or not you could run that 82 all the way up to 100 no problem okay if you have co2 now the next thing is is of course is the humidity and the humidity becomes one of really kind of the quintessential, almost most important part to almost everything you're doing. And that is because once the humidity goes up, the plant starts to think about the plant itself when you're in a, in a humid area, you know, in Michigan during the summer times when it gets humid, right? A little bit harder to breathe, a little bit, you know, you know, it gets a little tight. Well, imagine the same thing for the plant. And that's exactly what happens. And as you'll see with the plant itself, it stretches out a little bit. And as it stretches out a little bit with the humidity being too high and the temperatures being off and higher, what ends up happening is, is you don't end up with bud, you end up with larve. Why? Because the plant can't uptake. And what do I mean by the uptake? It can't go down and grab the water. A plant is 80% water. So you have to think about that 80%. So here's the thing. Well, when you have plants, i.e., let's say they're in a dirt container, right? If you wanted to, literally, you could water the plant every single day. As long as the plant had drainage. So that when you watered, the plant could completely drain itself out. So what's happening is the water's running through, the plant's eating what it does, and everything else is shot out. Because if you didn't do that, what would end up happening is is the plant would drown. Why? Because the roots are your lungs. The roots are your lungs. So what happens when you just keep on drinking and drinking and drinking the water? You drown. You'll die. Guess what happens if you have a pot and you keep on watering and it doesn't have holes on the bottom? You'll kill your plant. You'll drown it. It will drown in water. It's the simplest thing. But if you don't understand that, 
you'll look at your plant, you'll be like, I don't understand why it's, it looks like it's wilting. It's looking like it's dying. The leaves are kind of browning. Yeah, because you, the soil always was so wet that it could never uh, catch up. And if the plant doesn't have to catch up, that means the plant doesn't have to work. And if the plant doesn't work, the plant doesn't grow. It shuts down. So it's very important to have the medium right so the plant can flush. Like outside, when we, when we water outside, we water 50 gallons of water a day per plant. A day. Those plants can get up to 22 pounds per plant. You could do that in Michigan if you wanted to. You could do that in Oklahoma if you wanted to. You just have to know that the plant itself, you have to veg it long enough. So for something like that, that plant was started probably in January and it was vegged and you put it out about four and a half, five foot tall. It went outside at four and a half, five foot tall. It ended up at 20 something foot tall. And you scrog it and you open it up. It's just, there's so many different techniques that people can do. But those basic, basic from the temperature, the humidity, adding CO2. Um, there's other ways to cut down on the power cost. You could do what's called a flip flight, a flip flop operation. Meaning that you have, let's, let's call it 12 balluses, but 12 balluses run 24 hoods. Ballast on this side at the 12 hours shuts off at 11 and a half and then comes on over here and clicks the balances switch over now they run the next 12 hoods over here but you only are running 12 ballasts you now have 24 lights you just doubled your crop output so there's ways to you know do things to help to, to maximize your potential um, there's, I'm sure your listeners have heard of the, what is it called? The five, five, two, twelve, uh, uh, methodology where you're having the lights on, uh, um, for five hours, shut them off for an hour, turn them back on for five hours and then turn them uh, uh, off again. Uh, 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 I mean, on for two hours. So basically, uh, your lights are, are, are not uh, on all the time. It's, it's keeping the plant from flowering, but also it's more simulating what is actually happening outside. Because for the most part, we don't see in North America, uh, you know, 16, 17 hours of sun. That's not, that doesn't happen. You might see 12, 13 hours. Okay, cool. I think it's height, but you don't see 16, 17, but yet we're in our rooms running 18.6 for lights. Why is that? Why are you doing that? Because some guy said to put the light on to do that? What, what, what guy's that? So do we go ask Ed Rosenthal? Okay, what, what, what grow did he do? He wrote a book. Okay, let's go ask Jorge Cervantes. Well, what grow did he do? He wrote a book. Well, let's go ask Mel Frank. What grow did he do? They didn't. 
so the three leaders of the cannabis industry that are supposed to be the experts, what what are the experts on? I'm not sure that they're experts. And I would guarantee that if you wanted to, why don't you take every one of the books that have ever been written, go to go to college, go to college, horticulture, agriculture 101. Go figure. Just pull the, the marijuana out of the pictures, the cannabis out of the pictures of those books of those three people. And wouldn't you know, that's the same book that is in agriculture and horticulture 101. <laughs> they just plagiarized the book and put the cannabis pictures in there. Because they don't, they're not growers. Show me your grow. Where's your grow? Oh, you don't have a grow. Okay. Well, then how can I, how are you the expert if you don't grow? So you write a book that makes you an expert? I don't know about that. I don't know about that, you guys. So what else you got up there on that board? Anything else? <clears throat> Sorry about that. My mic was off. I'm sure I do. <laughs> Let me look. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for one, uh, yeah, he TC did clarify there. So basically, what he was saying was those all were BC bud strains. So he wanted in all cross with Pert. Uh, so he wanted to just confirm that that. Your strain was the strain pass up there to create. It's, it, it, he, we have mutual friends, and for a fact that that was it. And he might have used Mendo Perps or whatever it was, but it's the same strain. And yes, that's exactly what it is 100%. Flip back through here in the chat. I actually put in the title in the description of the show. I said, watch this why you still can. This episode may get banned. Oh, my God. Right? Right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hilarious. 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 Uh, let's see here. Yeah. So yeah, they, that's about yeah. I think you've got them pretty well stunned, even though they've got new questions going as I look up. <laughs> they have enjoyed this, by the way. Nice all through the night. Nice. Nice. Yes, basically, Ian, he said not to do an 18.6. That's what he was saying. Yeah, because yeah, basically, you have, to, you have to think about it as this no, I mean, show me where there's 18.6. It's only during over by the equator or something like that, or up in Alaska where you have the, or Bora or, or, or Alice or whatever the hell the thing is, where you get the 22 hours light, right? And there's, there's the difference. But Overall, there's just no that that's not conditional with the, the actual growing conditions. So, 
Um, and, and, and maybe to even kind of a throw a little kind of, oh, okay, now I see. Think about when you do go in traditional 12 and 12 flower, right? What happens when that gets interrupted? Your plant stops flowering. It goes back into, if it gets a crack of light or it gets confused, it doesn't know what to do. So now think about, now we're just going on that same opposite. Every time that we turn the light off, we go right back in and turn it on. A few hours later, the plant then can't flower because it needs 12 hours of continuous darkness. And that's how you can make the plant believe that it's still in a setting that's conducive to traditional weather patterns. Because again, think about what you're doing. What's the story? You're, you're, you're really, you're, in essence, you're creating, you're trying to be God. Well, what does that mean? Well, you're creating light, water, air, and humidity. That exists outside three already. I don't have to create that. I mean, shit, if I did that, then I'd be God. So now I'm coming inside and I have to play God. I have to be the environment for those living beings. If I don't provide the right environment, my living beings don't live. So it's pretty important. References to aquatic, aquaponic or KNF? Yeah, aquaponics. Aquaponics are are great. I believe that set up properly, it's a very uh, efficient and very productive way to feed. But you need to understand and, and grow, I should say. You need to understand uh, how the fish, what fish, how you're um, feeding them, how you're treating your water, um, and then how it's set up as far as um, the drainage and, and those type of techniques but i think that those are i think that's a great way to to grow uh, uh, i have a few friends that actually do that i was just on a farm uh, about six months ago they had it all set up uh, uh, uh farming uh, such as that so uh husky would like to know what in your opinion what will be the strain in 21 I think I I think that the industry is really looking for what they call the gas, the fire. Um, that to me is something of a high end OG sour diesel cam dog. Um, but I really think I've got I, I we have a, a strain. It's up mostly known up in Mendocino and Humboldt. It's called the Three Kings. I don't know. Have, have you heard of that before? So we're thinking we're thinking we're going to take that three kings and we're going to cross it with the grape ape and we're going to call it the grape king. So we figure, you know, with everyone really liking the gas and they want that 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 there with the three kings, with the OG, the sour diesel and the cam dog, it really brings that that essence of the gas and crossing it with the grape, we really feel that we can bring uh, to the masses something a little bit different. Again, it's um, it's really then searching for that one phenotype out of that grow. Because again, you know, there's going to be a multitude of, of rare variations when we do cross that, because you're going to have the uh, characteristics of the phenotypes 
from the um, Three Kings and you're gonna have the phenotype and the characteristics from the grape ape. We're really trying to find one that carries that heavy, dense, purple uh, grape ape uh, um, weight and the color, but with that super gassy, stenchy, you know, roadkill uh, 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 smell. And the high should be an extremely uplifting and, and, and really heady, you know, just kind of boom, almost couch lock when, it, when, you, when you hit it with just the most, uh, that, that, uh, um, that flavor, that, that flavor of grape. And it just, it will be, it will be pulling it uh, within its, uh, like right there, you will taste it on your turf. So that's really what we're looking for. So purple, King, purple king. I'm giving the three kings thumbs up there for sure, for sure. Uh, unlucky would like to know uh, how old are you? Question mark. Too old. I'm fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost nailed it. Yes, is Brett older, older than fifty? Right on. Right Not on. yet. I'd be 50. I just turned 50. I was born May 10th, 1970 on Mother's Day. And my birthday was on Mother's Day this year. So every so often my birthday, you know, it doesn't always fall, leap year, whatever, but it falls every once in a while. Last year I was born. I had, uh, I believe Mother's Day was Sunday in the fall, the, the two twenty, and that was my birthday, May 10th. Turned the big 5-0. Sometimes I can't even believe it. Yeah, I don't even, I, sometimes I can't even believe it. Like, I'm like, holy fuck, I'm 50 years old. I don't even know how it happened, you know? But that's where I'm at. So, it is what it is. You got any, what do you got over there from Pines? That's what I'm, that's one thing I'm looking for right now is some fucking fire pine, bud. That's, that's where I'm, my, my actually, that's where I'm looking for it right, right now. Right, right. This year's. We're, you know, I'm trying to, uh, in the pines, you know, for me, I like to think of that more uh, on the piney, more of the sativa sides. Um, and we have this strain that we've worked with for years. It's called the Triple X. And it's a hybrid sativa, um, really, really dense. And the, and the, 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 it literally smells like pine like almost pine salt. I mean, it, it, it is the, just a piney, piney smell. Um, um, and that is something that, uh, you know, we would really like to see, get that back out into the uh, open market. Um, but I think that's, again, we're, we really want to, I want to hone in on our genetics that we have and really concentrate on that get them into SOPs where we haven't had them before, get them into licensing deals, uh, into establishments, and really start to concentrate on bringing back. Um, we have some big things coming out in the next two or three months when it comes to setting up. We have some ideas. Um, it's going to probably be in the Northern California, maybe some other places out in Oklahoma, um, some possible uh, deals that we're, we're in negotiations and talking with groups, some of the people that are on your show. Uh, so 
there's a few things uh, uh, or in your audience, I should say, there's a few things that we have going on, but I don't really, I don't want to really talk about it too much until it's actually, you know, it happens. Right. Um, um, you know, cause it's easy to say that you're going to do it. And then frankly, you know, who knows what happens and it doesn't happen. So I'd rather just maybe be a guest again sometime, but it's really some big news if it does go into play and it will be, I mean, it's going to be big and it will be as your listeners are asking, well, how about the genetics? How about this? When, when are you, when's this going to be able, when's this coming out? This will be kind of the footprint on how we re-enter into the cannabis industry. Because for the past, again, for the past almost five years with my mom got stage four lung and brain cancer. She was the CEO of our company for the past almost 15 years. My, me and uh, my ex-wife after almost 20 years got divorced. I uh, uh, got in a very large fight uh, with the publicly traded company that I was with and, you know, walked away uh, uh, with a really kind of a sour taste in my mouth and a, and a huge financial uh, 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 debt, frankly. And so just like anyone in this world, you know, we're, we're nothing any different. You know, we have our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows. And um, we've experienced that in the last uh, five years. And it's been um, it's been a humbling experience, frankly. And it's kind of realigned what we we're working for, why we we're working for, the purpose that we're working to do it, and kind of some of the mindsets and the changes that I've had to learn to adapt and to mold myself into a more modern cannabis, you know, uh, executive, if you will, that can still rely on how I got there, but really start to use, as I've been preaching this whole time of how do I reach across the aisle and become an ally instead of an enemy? Because it's just so much easier to do that. And it's so much easier to try to figure out a way to solve the problem than just keep on creating the problem. I just don't want to, I really want to find a way to bridge the solidarity, the community as a whole. It's not like I'm, I, I you know, you can probably say this and feel very, yes, again, how many times have I, you know, been out here? I'm very vocal. I'm probably sometimes a little bit too much and I have to learn to tone it down. I, I'm a very passionate person about this subject and I'm very passionate about the people that brought me in, you know, and when I say brought me in, Eddie Lepp, Jack Hare, the Seattle Hemp Fest, Dennis Perrone, um, the founding, you know, fathers of the modern day cannabis industry. You've got some, uh, you know, pretty big uh, uh, shoes out there when it comes to the people that set up the hash bash, Adam uh, um, Bro uh, Brock, I believe that's his last name. Adam L. Brock um, got the hash bash going. Um, he does the stab and dab on, on uh, Facebook every day, Monday through Sunday. Um, again, just trying to talk to people, get out the information, talk about his experiences and what he knows. He's been kind of in and out for the past almost 30 years. He's a really good friends with John Sinclair. I'm sure you know that name. John Sinclair. Yeah. yeah. So, Definitely. yeah, yeah. So they're, they're really good buddies and he has been John Sinclair's kind of a caretaker in the Amsterdam's and everywhere else around the world um, for the past almost 
15 plus years, maybe even more than that, maybe 20 years. So. Uh, let me revert back here. Man, you have, you've had chat just fucking storming all night. If anything, I think this episode will hold the most fucking comments, that's for sure. <laughs> that's sure. funny. That's funny. Um, uh, mean Trees would like to know, uh, what about the molasses and the other additives in the tea? In the tea? So the molasses, so what I use, what I'd like to do with molasses is I actually don't like to use molasses. I like to use brown sugar. So the reason I do that is I get the same uh, uh, content of, uh, of uh, carb load sugars that I'm looking for with, and I'm sure your uh, listeners have had experience when they take that clumpy, you know, clump and it, it just clumps up and it's hard and you've got to be able to dissolve it and everything else. Well, have them turn it around now and use uh, the uh, uh, brown sugar. And they're just going to be like, man, this was this is off the chain. This is awesome. Why didn't I do that a long time ago? It dissolves better. It's cheaper. And it's more effective. Nice, nice, nice. I don't hear that. You don't hear a brown sugar being suggested at all. At all. Yeah, it's an old up up in the bushes Mendo humble trick. They've been doing it for years. Uh, um, to um, again, a lot of people were having such a a problem with the clumping up of, of the um, molasses that they started finding alternative methods, and and the brown sugar is one of them. That's a great tip. Great tip. Uh, yeah, I think we've got most of the questions in in chat here so far. Anyway, yeah, well, hold on. Uh, so, Joe, Joe Wise kind of he brought something up, but I was I was kind of curious too. Your thoughts on ethos? Uh, he just kind of brought about that. I was curious of your thoughts about those as well. Because you talk about, you know, it does take years to put out, you know, a proper strain, a properly worked strain to be released. And I think we've all kind of wondered how, you know, Ethos can release genetics on a, such a breakneck speed like that. Uh, any thoughts on, on that? Well, if anyone's just running out and creating a strain, I mean, at this point, they're simply, by that speed that you're speaking of, they're simply just taking a male and a female, crossing and go, okay, here's a new strain. But technically, in the sense of a new strain, okay, yeah. Is it stable? No. Do you know what it is? Uh, the best that I can tell you, it's a cross of those two. Okay, so what characteristics does it have? Did it have the mom or dad? I mean, does it have the mom's characteristics or the dad? Or does it have a both? And was that what you're already trying to do? Well, anyone can do that. I mean, we can do that tonight. Go ahead and uh, see stuff behind you. Just find the mail and, uh, okay, there you go. You just did it. You're the, rock, you're the new star. That doesn't even, that sounds stupid to me. 
that, 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 that just sounds dumb because so anyone, what I'm trying to say is that you're not a breeder. You're a hack. You're a you're a sophisticated hack that wants some that wants a new that wants a, a, a new half breed, and then somehow out of the half breed you'll find the midget the, 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 the midget uh, ninja turtle that's the one the champion, and then then you'll go out you'll put it in front of someone you'll get on the social media and you'll tell them Jesus came down and crowned you God, and now it's sold and now everyone buys it. It's so, just fake. It's not, it's, it's just, there's no integrity. There's no truth to it. And it should be true breeding and true breeding should be. So I tap the male and female, right? And I say to myself, I start with a male that I see that's bigger and strong. I start with a female that I know that I want, right? And I cross, that's called an F1. Then I take, then I, then I take the seeds from that. And I look for the one that's the, if I'm trying to go back to the mother, right? Then I cross it back again. That's called an F2. Then I do it again. And I cross it again, F3. And then I go F4. F4, we start to see what we wanted to, which that's the original of the mother out of the seed, right? Then you go five by six. You should be close to 95 plus percent the mom that you wanted and or, or maybe even higher than that. But you're going to be so close to mom that that's about as close as you're ever going to get it to breeding. So how long did that take? That took a minimum of a year and a half. A minimum. And that doesn't mean that every time that you breed is going to be okay. Because there might be sometimes that it, it didn't work out, or you uh, something went wrong, or something happened. That's that's why it could take up to three years to do it. Minimum, it's going to take a year and a half. Now, of course, you could do some other things, i.e., within the feminizing or uh, uh, what what is when they say autoflower. Really, the real name it's not autoflower; it's ruderalis. Ruderalis is autoflower. Ruderalis is from Eastern Europe. Ruderalis was originally used for bread. They could eat food. <laughs> it's a bread strain. Ruderalis is for food, for bread, not to smoke. It's they eat. But our cannabis industry, they're not going to tell you that because they, they want to rip you off. They want you to breed with bread. That's why most of the Ruderal strains have about an 8 to 10% THC level. It's just recently that some of the strains have been able to be crossbred into an auto, i.e. a cam dog, i.e. an OG Kush or something of that nature, where those strains are reading at a high THC level. So now if someone was really wanted to get real game and it was in the money and you're trying to do that, that's the only thing I would grow are 
the Auto Ruderalis OG and Sour Diesel. I wouldn't grow anything else. I'd put those in basically one acre models. Every one acre, I do 8,000 plants. Every 60 days, I have one ton. So to me, I don't even understand. I, I watch these guys as they're growing. And it's just like they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. You're, you're asking closet growers to come, hey, come set up my grow and, and this big grow. How many lights have you done before? Oh, I did 20 lights. Oh, well, there's going to be 1,000 in here. Or there's going to be 500 in here. It's a whole learning curve for 90% of the growing industry. Because you're putting in people that don't even have experience on running that fucking building. They don't even know how to fucking do that. And then they're having to run to train to learn to have to go through all this trial and error. See, if I was running a business, I would go first go hire me a, a guy right out of college, or, or, or a woman or a guy out of college, a, a, a horticulturist or an arborist or something that works in plants, okay? And then I would go get someone like me. And I put those two motherfuckers together and we would conquer the fucking country. Because the guy coming out of college, he don't know shit about growing weed. He don't know shit about that, but he knows a fucking hell about the bioscience and the plant and what it needs and grafting and this and that. I don't know all that. I don't know how to do that. I know tiny bits of it but I know how to grow weed and I know what that plant needs and I know how to succeed at the highest level so if you put us two together that's the best grow in the world because we're going to have the highest of science with the best of knowledge and that combination is you can't, you can't beat that combination so that's how what I would do but ruderalis I think are going to be, especially for large oil production companies that can get the strains that are high in THC, that are a fast turnover. So, cause the traditional, you're talking about three to four months of a turnover and outside it could be longer, but imagine in that same time, you've got two, maybe three crops and the same amount as your one crop. So now I tripled my production. In the same time, I would have got one. It's just, it's simple uh, mathematics ramping up in order to do industrial uh, uh, manufacturing. That's really all we're looking at is how do you get into the industrial manufacturing on that scale and be productive when it, costs, when it comes to cost labor. And, um, you know, lastly, they've got a lot of new trim machines. There's one called the resonator. And I would definitely suggest all and every one of your listeners to go out and take a look at that. They're out of Santa Rosa, California. And it is a machine that is set up that it does not break the structural. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't have the technical term. Cass was telling me earlier. But it doesn't break the structural integrity of, of the cannabis or the head of it. It literally inside of this, it's a tumbler, but it suspends it in air. 
and breaks it off with high pressure gas and the plant is frozen. So you get a completely trimmed, the best trimmed flower you'll ever see, not damaged, the head still intact with limited uh, 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 shaking for the keef and your trim. And it also simultaneously will make you water hash. So you got trim, trim flowers, trim, keef, and making water hash all at the same time. And depending on the size of the machine, you could trim fresh frozen up to a thousand pounds a day. You can get rid of 30 employees. You could save a hundred thousand dollars a month. And you can produce at least three times the product. So really it's 300,000. It's 3.6 mil a year that you just brought in your door. You got to understand this is a business that if you're not seeing where as far as how do I get industrial, how do I become the Henry Ford of the manufacturing of the cannabis industry? You have to be able to ramp up and meet the demand. You can't afford our labor cost is too expensive here in the United States. It's too expensive. And in the coming years, I really feel the United States, as far as large industrial growth, are going to be put out of business. And they're going to be put out of business from Mexico. Because financially, they will not be able to produce for what they'll be able to produce. They'll be able to produce quality pounds of cannabis for $25. And sell it to you for $25. So the U.S. market is... There's, there's a time you got maybe for the little guy, the mama pops, you got, you know, which is, it's fun. You'll be able to rock and roll, maybe make a few milli, four or five milli, whatever, but you're going to sell your company. And that's okay. That's probably what you wanted to do anyways. You didn't want to be bombarded and that's probably more money than you've ever seen in your lifetime. So you think you probably won the jackpot and shit. And most people probably would think they would, but the real people know that's just the fucking bottom of the barrel. That's the chump change of about what's about to really happen. Because what's about to really happen, as we talked when we started this call today, about the federal laws. And that's when you're going to see, you're going to see heavy, heavy. So it's not like, hey, I got 10 or $15 million. So what? That buys me a lunch today. You meant, you wanted to say you have 15 or $20 billion, right? That's what you said you had, right? Because you're 10 or 15, that ain't doing nothing. Just get the fuck out of here. What are you? Go, go, go buy dinner. Get the fuck away from me. And that's the real talk. And people need to understand that. That's why I was trying to tell you guys, be careful about your legalization bullshit. Because that's not what you want. It was 10 times better fucking keeping it illegal, keeping it underground, and just do your thing. That's the real money. And it's still today, that's the real money, by the way. That's the real money. Underground. That's the best money you'll ever get. And the only way you're really going to win is if you got the billions of dollars to take it to the next level. And it's, you know, it's a shame because the average person is not going to be able to play this game in, in the coming years. You will be taken out, but take advantage of it right now. Like great opportunities in Oklahoma. 
great opportunities in other states where licenses are relatively almost, they're free to me. That's, that's free at $2,500. That's free. You know, when you got to just to put a plant in California for one acre, you got to give them 90 K before you made a dollar. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. Every time before you plant your plants or when you put them in, you got to give them $90,000 and you haven't even made any money yet. That's going to put people out of business, man. So, you know, it's a, uh, there's a lot of things that uh, people need to take consideration, but there's a lot right now. Uh, you know, I never want to be the uh, deter to tell people don't get in. No, get, get in, build it quick and get out. And get out. The, the places that I think will always exist, and I think if they got them, the storefronts are going to always be winner, winner. That's never going to go away. So you're all, they're always going to be a storefront. But I think what's really going to be the hit, especially when this uh, coronavirus thing is over, are the smoking lounges. That's what I think is going to be the business. That's they're already the business. taking a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't. Yeah, because you can't you can't go in. But once, but once you can go in, and people start to see the the social gathering and the togetherness again, a lot like if you were to go to Amsterdam, those places are still packed. You know the club the, where they can go to socially smoke. So, and think about it: we have been locked up for so long. It will be probably like just a, a, a party scene to be at one of those places, just to have the opportunity to go outside now, to be around people, to sit down, to talk. You know what I mean? It's we've been all kind of locked up here for a while, you know, in our own little world. So we'll see. Anything else? Well, yeah. you know, you seem a little tired. Well, I, I just. I can always keep going a little bit, but you seem tired. I'd rather get you back another night to, when uh, we can go go another round. It's up to you. We can go forward, or we can we come do no, this we, another yeah, night. We no, we can keep going. I mean, I, I got another, like, 14, 15 minutes in me. We'll wrap it up. We've been talking. We're at three hours and about 16 minutes. So, um, you know, And maybe, I appreciate uh, your time, by the yeah, way. No, I want to throw that out there. I, I it's been a hell of a night. It's been a great. Well, bro, I'm a. They, they call me sometimes a, a, a half, happy Kathy chatter. So I'm. I, I can talk till the sun comes down, right? Uh, and I have lots, probably, you know, to offer in a multitude of different subjects. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, your listeners understand. You know, um, cannabis is. Right. So, so uh, a lot of things and people. Uh, within the, the cannabis that they, it, it, it circumferes so much of our lives and so many different aspects of our lives. And that's why it's important to not just, and I'm glad that we were able to, to go over a multitude of life, different subjects, people, uh, and, and personalities and things of that nature, because it, it shows that cannabis is beyond just this plant that you smoke and get high on. It's a lifestyle um, and it's a do the hotel I'm standing crazy. So, uh, um, but uh, in, in any way, um, it, it's something that I think t- it becomes almost every part of your life, especially if you're a daily cannabis user and you use it religiously as far as medicine, 
healing. And it's really important that I think uh, people embrace it as such and don't be so afraid of their lifestyle or their changes because ultimately cannabis is a healer and a helper. And, and I think we were talking about earlier how people can somehow put us in a different uh, spot or they can say that we're this or that because we use cannabis, you know, um, and the stigma that goes with it. And it's kind of funny, you know, I think now it's being more and more accepted where, you know, drinking now, I think as we turn this page is going to be more of the bad thing, which it should be in some aspects, some aspects. I'm not saying drinking is bad at all, but I'm just saying in some aspects, it can lead to a lot of things where I just don't see cannabis, you know, could you imagine? So what we're going to get in the, our argument is going to be eating Twinkies. Or we're going to drink a fifth and we're going to kill each other. Or we could smoke a joint and get in an argument and eat Twinkies. <laughs> it's your choice. It's how you would like to do it. And I just, I've always thought to myself that, you know, it's ironic how, you know, it's demonized as such this crazy thing, but no demons come out. I've just never seen like a massive aggressive dude or chick on weed. Have you? Like I've just never, I've, I've never, I can't even, I'm like, I'm really trying to think, wow, that dude smoked weed and he just went local. That never happened. I've never seen, I've, how about a woman? Like, oh, she smoked weed, she went local. No, she didn't. But I've seen people do a little bit of drinking and whoa, whoa, have I seen some shit change quick. So, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. And it's just how people find and again, you know, we talked about this as well. There's moderation in so many different levels. And we as individuals have a different threshold. What my, for example, I go in and I, I uh, got hurt. And so they gave me, or I couldn't sleep, I mean. And so I got some Valium or whatever it was, right? And the doctor's like, okay, well, I can give you these 20 bars. They're 20. I can give you these 10s. I can give you these fives, or I could give you two and a halves. I was like, oh, I'll take the two and a halves. Now he's like, are you sure I give everyone 20 bars? 20 bars. I'm like, bro, if I took that 20, I'd be dead. Literally, if I took it, I wouldn't get it. Uh, oh, I've never taken that much in my life. I, 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 and I've taken a five one time and I slept for two days. Two day, I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up. So what I'm saying to you is everyone has a different threshold. I know fools that take a 20 and like walk around. They're walk, they walk around. They're walking around. I'm like, dude, how are you? I, I would have died. I, I know, I know my body. I, I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't think that could happen, but again, people do it. So it's that uh, your differences. And so everyone has a, a amount, you know, and some people, Again, have a very high threshold. That's why a lot of times when you see court cases and you see people, man, well, that guy had 200 pounds. Well, yeah, because he takes the cannabis and he puts it into a tea or they make a butter out of it or they do something with it. He eats it. He doesn't even smoke it because that's the way it works for him or her. And that's where in California there, there became, I mean, like a lot of court cases where this guy would have or this lady would have 
two, 300 pounds of cannabis. And they'd be like, oh my God, that's just, that's excessive use. Then you bring in the key witnesses, you bring in the doctors and the experts. And they're like, well, actually, no. You could, you'll need 10 pounds a day. And that's a 30-day supply. What's the problem? And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, it does, because I take the 10 pounds. I make the butter, which makes one pound. I take the one pound, and I make a loaf of bread, pizza, and some cookies. And that lasts one week. How you doing? So that's where that laws started changing and things started changing as well. There's a, and this might be very interesting, even if you have listeners that somehow step into the other side of the field and they don't quite understand. There's a, it's called the DEA field study, 1992-93. You can pull it up. It's a public record. In that, the DEA wanted to do studies so that they could go and prosecute people, right? So what they did is they had the best horticultures that they could put in and play. And they had to define their work area. So the work area was defined by a 10 by 10, 100 square foot. Out of that 100 square foot, they grew inside and they grew outside. They put as many plants as they could in inside that 10 by 10. The best that they could do out of that 10 by 10, and all this is on the end of the report, so you can get it or have your readers get it. The best they could do was three pounds. So outside 10 by 10, three pounds. Inside 10 by 10, three pounds. So by the way, if you ever go into a court case and you go into a federal court case, that's what they're gonna, that's how they're gonna charge you. Which is a beautiful thing, by the way. Why? Because the sexy part about it is, is in a 10 by 10, so three, six, nine, I can go. I can go about 15 to 18 pounds. 15 to 18 pounds in a 10 by 10, okay? They said they got three pounds. Fuck, I'm cool with you. I'm, I'm rock and roll. Let's do you three pounds. You just saved me a whole bunch of prison time. Thank you, Fetty. I love it when you guys don't know what you're doing. So we have to realize, yeah, it's true. It's a fact. That court case, and I, and I had a friend that went to court, and they pulled that fucking, they pulled that thing out. His defense attorney did, and got the dude off up to this fuck. Had the old motherfuckers just, they were they, they didn't know what to fucking think. The prosecutors, oh, where did that come from? See, but they don't even know their own laws, bro. They don't even know their own laws. That's why people have to do some research, have to, you know, understand what is their rights, you know, because there's so many different rights that I think people just don't realize. And we're by fear uh, of uh, prosecution. I, you know, I don't know if you know this, or your listeners know this. So when it goes to a point, you go to court, right? And they say, okay, we're going to go ahead and um, we're going to have to go to trial, right? Do you know that I think it's 95% of people plea out? So 95% of the people in the United States of America may not even be guilty of the crime, but they're afraid of the super double punishment if they decide to go to trial, that if somehow they're not found not guilty, they get super slapped. 
So our system, and here's what I'm saying to the people of America. If everyone forced the motherfuckers to go to trial, you would shut down the fucking court system in America. So if everyone just said, fuck it, I'll go to trial, motherfuckers, so will I, so will I, so will I. They'd have to turn around and go, you're free, you're free, and you're free. The people shut down the goddamn American courts. We, the people, have the power. And it's only when you realize it's the masses that dominate the small part. And we have to come together. And if you're not willing to, out of fear, because that's what they do. They, they, they put the fear in you. Well, we're going to take your kids away. We're gonna, your, your wife's going to be gone. Your home's going to be gone. Your dogs are going to be gone. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be a felon. No, I didn't, do, I didn't do anything wrong. doesn't matter. This is what you're going to get. Now, we got the bonus pack. You can go ahead and just sign this right here. Admit to your guilt. And we'll just do a special little thing. You'll pay fucking two zillion dollars. You'll be in the fucking system. And now if you fuck up anything over there, we have you for life. Have a nice day. Bye. Was that a deal? Because that's how they do 90%, 95% of America right now. That's how we get done up. So again, if we, the people decide we don't want to be done up anymore, we rebel. And that gentleman that you can look at that, his name's New Jersey Weed Man. New Jersey weed, man. They've tried to get him a whole bunch of times. Looks like now he might be a multimillionaire with a huge federal lawsuit. Yeah, go look him up. He's in New Jersey. He's, he sells legal weed with no license. Sells it right out of his store. No license whatsoever. None. And tells him, writes the letters to everyone. I'm here, motherfucker. What you going to do? Nothing. That's what he says to him. Nothing. Why? Because they already tried to take him to fucking court. They held him locked up for one year before they wouldn't allow him to have bail. Then he went. He was his own attorney. And he beat the state of New Jersey. Set free. Everyone in America can do the same thing. If you go to trial, no court in this country, no peers of 12 people will convict you. They'll have a hung jury. It's called jury nullification. It's a fact and we could dominate. We could stomp on these cunt fucks and take our country back just like they tried to take the Capitol. Fuck them. They're fucking ripping you off. They're stealing from you. The status quo sits around and takes it because as long as you're happy, you have your check, you have your lights, you have your weed, what does it matter? But it only matters when it comes to your door and then it's too fucking late because you were too fucking docile not to fight the fucking beast. And we don't get it because we've never had to live in that. We're the cunts of the society. Our generations are the cunts. They really are. They're bitches. They're cunts. Why? 
because we didn't really, the wars that we did were fucked up. They weren't even really wars. They, they weren't hardcore at all. And then the wars that they were, were twisted and they weren't even a reason to fight. Then when we come back, we're, we're all entitled to this or that. And what, what did, why, for what? And then everything happens, everyone has problems and all this happens. And all we do is infight and then say, well, we wanna, we're gonna help our people. Really? Is that why there's so many homeless veterans fucking uh, on the streets and homeless and drug addicts and everything? Because you want to help them, right? Because that, that's they, they helped us. You want to help them, right? No. And why don't we, the people, look at that? Why don't we say to ourselves, man, this isn't, if we're right and we're supposed to be right, we believe right and we're acting right, that's not right. But yet those are your elected officials that you put into office that make one, two, three times what the average wage is in America with free medical, serve between a two and a four year term and are paid that 180 to 250 the rest of their life and free medical. For what? For what? Because you, you serve us, you served us. No, I really don't believe you do because I believe at the end of the day, I can go looking out special interest groups or your husbands or your significant others or your wives. And I can see their companies making lots of money off of political people that happen to be around or through your parties. But we don't tend to want to bring that up because, you know, we don't, we're not, we're, we're not corrupt, are we? But we're the most corrupt country in the world. But we don't we don't really talk about it. And it's just those are things that I think as a conscious person that cares, that wants to see something better and really wants our 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 world to take accountability for what it is instead of, you know, just make it a kumbaya moment and everything's so good and it's so good when really it's not. And we just keep on forcing it, you know, to a side and never addressing it. I think it's really important that we start to uh, uh, look at those and challenge those really heavy duty subjects and start to find a, a, a way to deal with it uh, instead of hiding from it. It's just important to me, but, you know, again, it's everyone has to go through their own journey or their own path. And it's during that time that, you know, you're going to find your path, right? Your, your, your convictions, your strengths, and, um, you know, hopefully you find something that empowers you to want to help other people, you know, cause that's, I think that's all we can do now, especially with everything that's going on, the Corona, the fighting, the infighting, the politics, uh, you know, everything. Um, it's like, uh, I've been seeing so much and I'm really proud of a lot of people to say, regardless of this or that or whatever, the bottom line is, is we are, and what we have in common is we're Americans. And at what point, you know, I mean, do you want a better American than me? Do I want a better American than you? I don't think that's what it is. I think we want a good America. And my point is, is that all this infighting of who's right or how they would do that or what. Honestly, at this point, who gives a fuck about all that? Our country is in need of help. Our country is in need of leaders. Our countries are, are, are in need of a... 
a leader that's willing to hope and and to literally find you know our neighbors and help our neighbors out i just hope that's what I'll, maybe i'll leave you with is that i just want people to really I, I i want people to realize that you know right now we're in it we all are family friends neighbors people they don't even know you know our lives are going to change here therefore will forever be changed no matter how anyone wants to say uh, it's not no it will be uh it, our business has already changed and it will change large businesses will change they will stay for profitability in keeping people working at home or from remote these big businesses and offices that they have these buildings are going to have to be repurposed reused because they're not going to be they're not going to be offices anymore you're going to have some of the largest real estate in the world unoccupied at the same time here very shortly you're going to see one of the largest housing crises in the history of the of, of the world like if people thought 2006 and 2008 was a problem you don't you don't even know what a problem is yet you're going to pray that you don't own a house and if you do you better either have a job or you better to figure it out because you think you're strong right now when you look at me and you go oh my god look how well my house is made oh my god the real estate really so let's go back to 2006 and let's go to today can you please tell me what changed in our world and what jobs came that now you can go back to houses that are more expensive than the highest prices they've ever been ever of mankind where people are losing more jobs than they've ever lost and the wages are falling faster than ever there's more foreclosures today than there is in the history of mankind there's over 7.5 million ready to record that's more foreclosures than it happened in 2006 75% of the united states citizens are below 0 dollars in their bank 75% so there is going to be a problem and there's going to be a problem like you've never seen before ever there's going to be food lines and carnage like you've never known before the homeless rate will go to a rate like you've never seen before and deaths will rise and children will die like never before and you can go look right now statistically speaking it's already happening those numbers are already starting to pile but see most people don't understand cuz somehow they believe in a system that's fake so if you've got real estate and you've got money and you know it now again as i'll say to you and i'll say to everyone in the world there's going to be a crisis around 2010 between 2008 2010 the banking industry and the home industry the loan industry saw that there was a problem and the problem was there was no faith in real estate not any so what they did is by the way the same hedge funds and the same money market 
people out of Wall Street and out of big business. What did we do? When we had the bailouts to Obama, you gave them close to, what was it? Four points, almost $8 billion. They took the money from us, put it into their bank accounts. And today, oh, that's funny. They have the most money they've ever had in the history of mankind. Where did they get it? They got it from you for free and me. While it sat in the stock market and gained the largest history of mankind. Then while they had all the money that they could ever have, they had to figure out what to do with all that money. And they knew that there was the biggest problem in the world. No one was buying houses. So what did they do? They went out and started buying houses bigger and more than you'd ever seen. They started skyrocketing across the United States and pushing up the, the uh, values of homes faster than anything had ever seen. That everyone, the mothers and fathers started thinking, oh my God, we've got to get back into real estate. It's time to make money. And a lot of people that have the money and ever, you have made the money. But a lot of people are thinking they're really cool. They're sitting back, they're in their house and mom and pops and everything's rock and roll. And they think they're looking at them like, oh, my God, look at how much money we just made. The house just went up almost 60 percent. Really? Well, right now, the houses are over between 30 and 60 percent over price. 30 to 60 percent over price. And that's where this thing's going to crash. It's going to blow up, bro. It's going to blow up gnarly. And I'm really I just hope people understand don't go buy shit don't go be buying anything don't go be buying new cars don't go be buying new don't go do it and if you don't if you think i'm crazy in 2006 i own 22 oh no no i own 22 houses in 2006 and back, back basically by the way i owned a house in grand rapids michigan i used to flip double trip over there at grand rapids university like a hilltop <laughs> Anyways, I ran game all across the United States. Believe me, my family owns one of the largest appraising companies in the United States. In 2006, my uncle came to me and said, the world will have one of the worst financial crises it's ever seen. Sell your houses. My uncle just came back to me. The world is going to fall the fuck apart. At every scene. It's going to fall the fuck apart. And people better be prepared, my friend. They better be prepared, bro. Get those bills down. Get it down to nothing. Make it, you know, because look, at owning a house, it's not a, you own a house, it's not an asset if you owe money. That's a debt. That's a debt. And by the way, if, if anything of half of what I just said, guess what happens? Immediately, they call in the ledger. Immediately. And if you can't pay, guess what? Bye. So it's scary, bro. I don't want to be the bad, because you can, you can still win. There's lots of ways to win here still. Downsize the bills. Downsize your heavy expenses. Get out of massive debt. Get away from it. It's everything that your parents probably taught you when you were younger, but it's what probably 85% of all people do. They get a decent job. They go over, extend on their car. They should have never bought the car because they can't afford the car. They go buy a super big house. And then all of a sudden their foot breaks. Then they go into a problem. Then they lose everything they own. They go into bankruptcy. 
because they bought a house they could have never afforded to begin with and a car they shouldn't even be driving. I mean, think about it. Everyone's guilty of it. I was guilty of it. We all do it. We think we're rock stars. Woo, I can afford it. No, you can't. The system has made you believe you can afford it and you get overextended because that's what you think everyone's supposed to do. And as we said, if you fall status quo, you'll, you'll be status broke. <laughs> and you just got to be careful, man, because there's so many things happening. So anyways, it's probably bounce. Um, thank you. I really appreciate you allowing me to come on your show and be, and participate with your listeners and just humbled uh, for the experience. And definitely if, um, any and every time that if there's a time that you'd like me to come back, whatever, uh, again, if you could just, uh, you know, get with my uh, IT team, you know, cause I, it, it, it took a little bit there for us to link up there, but if we did it. Uh, I would be honored to uh, come back and uh, shoot the breeze with you. It'd be pretty awesome. I, I'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, first of all, there's a couple of things I'd like you to get out of you before you go. Well, fun. First one would be to tell you, that uh, the Zoom numbers are always the same. Oh, They're always beautiful. the same. Beautiful. So anytime that you see like a wormhole, the wormhole episodes are a free-for-all. Basically, if you've got the number and you want to come hang out in the wormhole, it's a free-for-all. Come anytime sure. you want. Anytime. Nice. So I want I want you to be aware of that for sure. But oh, that, I would like to get you back to do another spotlight for sure. And uh, the other thing I'd like to uh, get in, uh, from you is the sound bite. It's uh, kind of the commercial for this episode. It's the old school uh, radio identification, just like the artists used to do. Hey, this is Metallica. I'm on fucking K Rock. But in mm-hmm. your instance, I would like, you know, hey, this is the King of Kush, Fresh Frog. And I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 306, something like that. My, your words, so, uh, not mine. That was just hey, an hey, example. Hey, you guys. Uh, it's been an honor. Here I am tonight. Um, the King of Kush, Brett Bogue, on Eagle Gardens, correct? Episode 301? Six. 306. Six. And thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a great episode for sure. And I look forward to speaking with you again. You have a great night. And uh, my condolences to your mom, by the way. I, you know, things kind of went moving very quickly before I could, you know, kind of pass that on. But uh, I appreciate that. And so does my family. Thank you so much. She's uh, she's doing uh, quite well, actually. They gave her three months to live. My mom's been almost alive for five years. Her radi- uh, she had radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, the the lung and the brain tumor have both shrunk. They're shrinking as we speak now. So uh, it's really just a a cannabis miracle. She's been on cannabis the whole time, as far as oils. Uh, and doing the uh, fecal oil, the full uh, extraction oil. Some might call it Rick Simpson oil. Um, I call it fecal oil. And um, basically, uh, she's just thriving and thriving. So, again, thank you so much for that. That's a very heartwarming felt. I appreciate that. 
problem. And uh, so that does do it for this episode. Uh, I'll fucking talking shit with Eagle. You guys know the deal. Uh, if you guys, we will be firing up the wormhole to kill it till 420. So if you guys are interested in that, come join me in about eh, five more minutes. I will fire it back up to finish out the hour. And uh, but basically, you guys know the deal. Random acts of kindness do save lives. Please take the time to do somebody, do something nice for somebody. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are out of here. Thanks.